I'm like, wait, before we start. <laughs> before I turn off the lights. Uh, okay, anyway. <laughs> You are listening to another episode of Music and We. I am Jamila. And I'm Jesse, also known as Jester. What's up, What's everybody? Up? <laughs> yeah, we're doing another one for you guys. And it's a long and time. And another coming. one. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> We've been doing a lot of uh, controversial topics, I suppose, but that's what we stated in the beginning. This may be another one. Who knows? But we are talking about Prince versus Michael. We do not think that exists. There's no need to There's have a no versus. There's no need to have a versus. They are very special artists in their own right. And so we're just going to talk about it, though. Why people do Prince versus Michael. Why do you think people do that? The same reason why people do Elton John versus Freddie Mercury. That's right. They don't do that. They only do it for people like, I don't know, people of the same racial demographic. We have to be in competition, you know? I mean, at least that's what it seems. Because I don't see that with no one else. Why are you taking two musicians who had two different lives and making them compete against one another? Michael and Prince were successful, period. Both of them. They were successful musicians and artists that used their talents to contribute to the good of humanity. And they made some dope music while doing that. So I've never felt the need to compare them. I think a reason why people do it is because they see similarities. Oh, they were both born in 1958. Yeah, well, so was Madonna and a lot of other people born in 1958. Oh, well, they were both, they both had similar, you know, they, they were black. It was like, yeah, but look at, if you, even if you were to just look at them, I mean, Michael was a prodigy, right? I mean, to some degree, we would even say Prince was a prodigy, but Michael came from the school of Motown, you see? He had teachers around him. He was talented at five, <laughs> and he maintained his his talent and his his gift throughout his whole career. And he went about things in different ways because his fame level was much higher than anyone that has ever existed, including Prince, <laughs> including anybody. Michael was the world's most famous human being, okay? This is what people don't register. But with that, he also came from a family that was abusive. Joe Jackson, you know, inflicted a lot of trauma to Michael. He never really had a chance to grow up because he was always expected to perform. He was exploited because of that labor later towards the end of his life and actually killed. I mean, I, I can go on and on about all of it, but I think it's clear that people don't see the overall story in Michael and Prince. They just see two, you know, artists around the same time that made dope music. And usually that's just Thriller and Purple Rain. <laughs> So, why do you think people, you know, compare them? Do you think it has to do with some of what I said, or is it just that people find, like, why is it that they do that with them? Because I just find it interesting that that's not done to any other artist, really. I don't, I don't hear I that think a lot. People do it with them not only for the reasons you stated, but you have two men of African descent who 
dispelled the myth that African men were hyper-masculine. There you go. They dispelled the myth that African men behaved in particular ways. So they both wore makeup, they both wore clothes that some people deemed feminine, they used falsetto. The thing is, there were many singers who used falsetto. The Bee Gees being a perfect example. (laughs) You had the Delphonics. You had many groups who had the falsetto. And yet, Prince and Michael, because they wore eyeliner, somehow were deemed less masculine. And I think that's a huge thing. And they were around at the same time together. And it's like, oh, we've never seen anything like that before. Lou Richard! (laughs) Little Richard. Yeah, what Richard. are you talking about? You've never seen anything like this. What about Little Richard? You've seen Escarita. Like right, Escarita. Yeah. Hey, listen. Jamila just put me to a task not long ago. I need you all to do the same thing. Can you spell it out for the viewers? Because I don't even know how to spell it. Escarita. E S Q U R I T A. Escarita. Escar. Look it up. When I saw him, I'm like, <gasps> what? <laughs> like. It's like looking like it's, it's like looking at a twin of Little Richard. It looks just like Little Richard. I mean, it was enough for me. Yeah, that experience was wild to see that he looked just like Little Richard. So you guys should look at that just to provide context as to why when people use that as an argument to suggest that, oh, well, we've never seen anything like it. It's like, look at history, people. That's one thing I appreciate about Michael is that he did a lot of, and Prince did too, but I think of Michael in a far greater detail in that regard because he never failed at saying, oh, well, you know, I come from the school of, and he would mention the people that came before him and his influences. I mean, Prince did too with musicology. You kind of have to look back before you're looking ahead. You have to acknowledge the people that laid the foundation, people that did the work before you came on the scene. You got to look at the James Brown and the people, your ancestors. All of that is very important because it helps context in a, in, a, in a great way. So if you look at Michael and Prince, you just see, as you said, successful artists, but people couldn't, they denied the blackness, you know, because blackness is expected to be performative, I've realized, to some degree. It's like, oh, you black? Oh, well, what qualities are you demonstrating to show me that you're black? And that's, uh, and that's something that's, that a lot of people don't consider or think about as much as they should. You know, what's wrong with being expressing, uh, what's wrong with expressing yourself in a way that's, you know, flamboyant or whatever it is? And why is that attached to your humanity? Why are you seen as bad for doing that? Mm-hmm. And you got to ask that, these questions. Yeah. With that intro, I'm going <laughs> to dedicate the show to Escarita. And to Anna James. Yay! (laughs) Two people who had a seminal hand in the creation of rock and roll. So we cannot forget our ancestors. We cannot forget the luminaries who paved the way. Sister Rosetta Tharp, who created the sound. Sister Rosetta Tharp, who created the sound. Created the sound which birthed rock and roll. We cannot forget our ancestors. Can't do it. Okay. And so this show is dedicated to them. Ashe. Ashe. And what you were saying in terms of performative blackness, if you will, is definitely a limited form of blackness. So, for instance, uh, with Prince and Michael, you could only show a specific type of masculinity in 
that day and age and still to this day and age. You have a still deep-seated toxic masculinity that exists. I don't think that's going to go away unless we see the masses really act on it and organize against it. So that's, that's one issue. But then we have this idea that similar to, well, if you don't talk about racism, it'll go away. And I think there's this attitude that, well, if we don't, if we just say we're boyfriends or if we dress in a particular way, these issues of toxic masculinity are going to go away. And I'm seeing that with people like Jaden Smith. I'm seeing that with a lot of these performers. And I don't look at it as necessarily, I, I don't see it as necessarily having an extensive base or a question of the limitation of what, quote, blackness is. I just feel like if you ignore it, it'll go away. And I think that is highly problematic because it's not taking the task the systems which have created these limitations upon us as African people. So getting back to Prince and Michael, there was a lot more of a balance. And clearly, we've talked about these issues in our episode about patriarchy. Clearly, they were raised with toxic males in their families, and they gravitated towards some of that in their own lives, and they internalized a lot of that in their own lives. So that definitely didn't escape with their lessening of toxic masculinity in their performances. <laughs> well, but but it, it was just, it's interesting to see how people automatically peg them as gay based on their performative aspect, which means even people of African descent limited how we can perform again you had Sylvester, you had Little yeah, Richard, Sylvester, you had yes, so you, you always you. had these elements, you had the bell, you had, you yes. had elements where there was a, an aspect of variety in our culture through music. And it's a shame that that's blocked out. I mean, I'm so glad yeah. you mentioned Sylvester and all these other names because, you know, it's a shame that we don't know them, that they're not talked about, that they're just seen as disco figurines that existed at a time and, oh, yeah, uh, but they really laid the foundation. And yeah, I don't like how we do that. I, that's, and anytime, so that's why when people do this Prince and MJ madness, I really get defensive on both accounts because I feel like it's just separating or it's denying, it's erasing so much about both of them when you have to look at them comparatively in the sense that one has to be better and the other has to be less. I mean, right. you can experience one a bit more deeper, and that's why I appreciate that we do this podcast, as you all have been listening. Jamila, she followed Michael Jackson throughout her life. I mean, you know, you've, you've, people already know that. You've, you definitely know. You got the receipts. You've done the homework, even when you weren't in class, when you were around, you know? <laughs> so things have already been done, and I'm the same way. I mean, I was not raised on Michael or Prince, but I, it was a moment in time when I only listened to gospel music, and Michael Jackson was the first musician I listened to outside of that. And it opened me up to so many different sounds and it just challenged me. And then in a greater or in an even higher sense, all of it kind of came together with Prince too. Prince did the same thing. Then I heard who Prince was and it changed my path. And I just grew with both of them in a sense to where I respect them both. And I understand why 
some of the things they did or some of the characteristics that they exhibited dealt with factors that they didn't have any control over, <laughs> you know, yeah. same with any life, you know, is you just kind of go with what you've been given. And in that regard, they've both had success a lot. They've both, they're both humans though, which means they both have flaws. They both have had approaches that may seem dubious or whatever, but in some degree, we all have that. I mean, we are, we're just, this is just the whole journey anyway. So I want to turn it to you for a second, because I remember you said something before we started the podcast that was really interesting, which was like, it had to do with the talent, you know, the ability that we have. Like, don't you feel Michael Jackson in particular is somewhat just denied for his range of vocals and his just his ability, his ear as well, and just his yes. his process. If you can yes. ex- let's let's talk about that because a, a lot of people we stick to the signatures of Michael. We stick to the gloves and the moonwalk and the, <laughs> the armbands. But what about the the foundation? Yes. Yeah. Well, I want to say before I go there, I think Michael's response to the toxic masculinity was to perform with this particular voice. He rarely used his lower ranges in a public sense. Uh, until he was older, where, you know, when you're older, you're not going to talk the same way when you're 25 or 30. So I, I don't think he had any choice but to utilize his voice in a lower range. And even when you see This Is It, only when he got upset did he really use what I think was his actual voice. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was just like, no, I don't want to use this earpiece. Like, he was talking like that when he was pissed off. But when he was, you know, being his not pissed off self, he was saying, let it sizzle, let it sizzle. Yeah, it was a little bit higher. But when he was angry, he said no. So he he definitely had two different voices. One was the command and the other was just, this is my public voice. And, you know, a a lot of us do that, uh, particularly then we have this double consciousness, as W.B. Du Bois spoke about. And it's that one voice when we're at our jobs and when we're in public, when we don't, quote, want to seem threatening. And then we have the voice where we talk to each other and our registers might be deeper. Or <laughs> when right. we're looking to you know, gain control of a situation, our registers right. are deeper. Yeah. And we saw yeah. that with Michael Jackson. And we saw the double consciousness happened right in that movie. Oh, so y'all already know how I feel about that movie. And with Prince, I think his, I'm not even going to call it a double consciousness, but it definitely was a response to toxic masculinity in a way. I think his response was more spiritual, whereas Michael's response was more based on his material conditions in his family. And and even the class setting of where he was. Prince, he was just out there. Like I don't think he was concerned with the material world so much and how he acted. And to your point about <laughs> Michael's range, his range was phenomenal. If you listen to any of the acapellas on YouTube, and there are plenty, you can hear he was a solid master of his craft. And the voice being the first instrument, you hear 
His range, he was known to have a four octave range. Some people said five. I don't think it was five at all. Uh, I think I think his vocal coaches have said uh, he had like 3.8 or something. I don't know. But average is four. <laughs> I think okay. Rochelle Perot might actually have a five octave range, I think. But uh, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> Michael's range was phenomenal, and that's the thing. If we're doing Prince versus Michael, the thing I enjoy about them vocally, Michael, because he chose to stay in the pop realm, his vocals were, they were a lot more flowery. And Prince's vocals, they were based more in the darkness, if you will. So then you have the... Black keys on the piano and the white keys on the piano. If you want to look at it that way, <laughs> Prince was the black <laughs> keys and Michael was the white keys, right? right. So, <laughs> so <laughs> that's a good if comparison. If you want to look at it that way, if you want to look at it, but they both work together, you see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I I haven't heard any acapellas from Prince too much. I've heard a couple, but. For the most part, I haven't heard a lot of them. So long. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good acapella. I think Solo on his album Come does a great job at bringing to light that Mahalia Jackson because he was a really big fan of Mahalia Jackson. Yeah. And he said even in Emancipation, you know, checking out Mahalia's greatest in the upper room. And you listen to mm-hmm. Solo, and I just hear Mahalia Jackson because I was raised on listening to Mahalia Jackson. My dad is just. He has all of her records. And Oh wow. Yeah, he's a huge fan. He's like, Oh, it's the best voice and like that's the voice of God, Mayoya Jackson. It's like, woo, that kind of soul. It's just I don't know, it's something about her voice. But anyway, I can listen to solo and I can hear Mahalia Jackson, you know, and I hear him going back to you know, that Negro spiritual ancestral soul wailing. It's really nice. With Michael again, like I said, his range is like I was listening to Who Is It recently, Acapella, mm. which is like, whoo, our childhood. And there's so many examples of, you know, and it's not easy. See, people who say or take away from that, it's like, y'all can't sing and you don't appreciate your instrument. Because if you know your first instrument, I mean, it's amazing when I can hear a vocalist, someone like Rachel, uh, Rachel Farrell or Aretha Franklin or uh, many Ripperton. It's It's almost like, a lot of people don't value that, but that kind of ability and to hear also how you sound and to do varying degrees of that to me is I just appreciate it. I feel like that's a gift and I and I feel something. I feel that's when you f- you feel the goosebumps and you're like you're in another place mm-hmm. and I can appreciate that's just as relevant as a guitar or a piano or a drum or a horn or a flute. I mean, these are all mediums, you know, I don't see why we're attacking the person's ability to. And then Michael had the ability to arrange a song in his head. Okay, okay, (laughs) okay. So here's the thing. And before I say that, I I wonder how much I'm saying is true, because uh, listening to Prince, and I've heard an awful lot of Prince songs, (laughs) I own... A bunch of print stuff. I obviously don't own all his albums. The man had 
39, 40 albums. <laughs> but I own all of my Klaus albums. He had 11. And a couple yes. of comps and stuff. Pop music is based on the, the major keys. So I really wonder like, how true that is with Michael having his vocals based on major keys and Prince based on minor. I, I just wonder. I, I don't yeah. know if, if what I'm saying is true, but just from the naked ear, I, that's what I'm hearing. And so one thing I saw, which to me dispelled any myth that Michael doesn't direct anything in terms of his musicality, the We Are the World footage. I actually uh, have that <laughs> video. So when Michael wrote the song, if you have the Ultimate Collection from Michael Jackson, which was released, what was that, 2004? Mm-hmm. There's the demo version of We Are the World. But you see him conducting it. This is the original version of We Are the World when they're like, Shana, Shining, get all that. Mm-hmm. And then they're speaking in Swahili, and either Quincy Jones or somebody said, No, nah, listen, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but he's directing this. Quincy Jones is just standing there, but Michael is conducting people singing, which to me shows that Michael had a lot of influence over that recording. And yeah. Quincy Jones essentially just said, okay, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Right. <laughs> exactly. People almost make it seem as if Michael stood at wing to Quincy, like, oh, teach me everything you know. No. I mean, he obviously had respect for Quincy, but mm-hmm. Michael also was a very talented. He was a producer. He right. heard it already. Mm-hmm. He didn't. It's not like he was like, well, I'm not. He was able to record where the guitar was going to go, where the horn was going to go. He would do it with his voice, but that's just that's a, that just lets you know he's in it. He's not just like, you know, oh, whippity do, let me sing this line. What do I sing like? No, he was very aware of his of his voice and song structure. I mean, that's a good point with We Are the World because a lot of people just make it seem as if he wasn't involved, but he was very much involved in everything. <laughs> I don't see how anyone can deny that. More or less wrote the song. I know. Yeah. I would say there are plenty of examples of that. I think Michael sometimes was a bit too freeing in his credits. He just was like, oh, yeah. I mean, he didn't because to him, it came from God anyway. He's not, you know, necessarily not to say he I'm sure he had situations. In fact, I can think of situations where people like, well, I wrote that song and he didn't write it. Yeah. Well, Stranger in Moscow, which is to me one of Michael's most brilliant songs. He did not credit Brad Buxer, who did have a hand in some of the songs. So, so he didn't, okay, there, I didn't know that. There were times that he did. I think of the guy that they just released that This Is It, Paul Anka, I believe. He's oh, yeah. Right. I mean, but, that, right. but that's, not, that's not Michael's no, fault, No, that's not Michael's fault anyway. So you're right. I'm just saying in general, I feel that Michael definitely played a hand in all of what he he did. And, I mean, he gave credit to Greg Philigans and people. It's not like Michael took... But I sometimes, in the case of We Are the World, let's just say, yes, I do believe that was mostly Michael's song. Maybe uh, Lionel Richie just contributed the lyric or something. Maybe not. Yeah. Don't know. <laughs> we don't know. Allegedly. <laughs> but there was Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. And Greg yes. Gaines actually originally was credited on it. If you look at original pressings of the 45, Greg Gaines actually was credited and his name was taken off. So there was an interview Greg Gaines did with Red Bull Music Academy and actually told the story about what happened. And the part where you hear the bridge, like, when you hear the crowd and everything, like, that that was Greg Gaines. But for some reason, 
his name was taken off. And That's <laughs> if you weird. want to hear the whole story, yeah. If you want to hear the whole story, you have to look at the Red Bull Music Academy interview that he did. I just wrote that down, so make sure I look at it. So, yeah, there were times where Michael said, eh, but you just wrote this one piece, so it's not exactly a songwriter's credit, and right. it's an arrangement credit. So Greg Gaines was credited with the, with arranging, but he wasn't credited with songwriting. So this is... Really okay, I can get. There are a lot of yeah. examples of musicians who have situations like yeah. that. Prince, especially too, like Doomy Baby. From what I understand, that's Andre Simone. It ain't your song. Really? Yeah. I'm so sorry. <gasps> really? <laughs> Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. For real? From what I understand, the instrumental Andre Simone did it. Are you yeah. serious? Yes, absolutely. <gasps> wow. But, of course, Prince, listen in. And, oh, yeah, I like that. I could do. I mean, the, the, here's the thing with the musicians. And this is the, and I'm not sure if this is even. Well, I guess it is relevant. People should understand that creating a song with someone, collaborating and how that works. That's a very interesting dynamic with different musicians. Now, I can see like what you just explained with Greg Filligan. So if Michael said, oh, well, you contributed to this. This is not really writing it, but arranging it or shifting the direction. Um, there are a lot of nuances to it, so I'm not here to make a defense of either or, but I don't see that to be impossible. Mm-hmm. I don't see that to be like it's there are many situations where that could happen, where if, you know, Prince is just like I said to you earlier. So when Prince was with the revolution with Wendy and Lisa at the piano microphone for January 21st, 2016, he, he mentioned, you know, building up that song Raspberry Beret. He heard her play it. Say, oh, that sounded nice. And then they just worked on it. Sometimes you get situations where another artist might do a melody and you like it. And then you add something. And then it's, you know, and then at the end when the paper gets signed, it's like, I wrote it. And then it's like, wait a minute. You didn't write it. I wrote that. And then the, then you might get sued. So it depends on a lot of factors. There are a lot of nuances, I think, to the whole thing. But I am going to make sure I watch that Greg Filligan's thing. And yeah, it's true on the account of um do me baby i know also with prince uh-huh. with the time oh yes you know there are many examples there's a jesse johnson interview with the uh quest love supreme that interview is quite hilarious actually <laughs> oh, <laughs> because I, think I heard some i heard some of that interview yeah it's it's worth watching or listening to rather because it goes into depth just kind of you know you it's good for historians like i consider myself sort of a historian i like connecting dates so when I think of Prince in 1984 or in 1980, <laughs> that was nothing like he was as an old man. So just seeing how he, or not an older man, but you know, an elderly, a man who's not 57, yeah. you yeah. know. So, so I think it's important to look at just kind of what his mindset. And this is the same for any artist. Michael's the same way. It's funny seeing how they navigated through different points in their career where it was just vastly different later on. Just like this Greg Filligan's interview we should check out check out the jesse johnson interview with uh that's pretty that's a good one too so if we're gonna do a prince versus michael let's go through the different eras so we have the 70s clearly you there's not a lot of comparison because prince had his first album in the late 70s if you want to go with his work with pepe willie sure mm-hmm. but not a lot of people yeah. who know prince know that stuff right so mm-hmm. there's not really a comparison <laughs> right, not really a comparison. So if we want to go with 79, okay, we have the Jacksons. 
and we have Prince. The Jacksons were now beginning to write their own material, working on producing things a little bit more, but still not there. You had 1980, where you had Triumph, which to me is their best album because it was the one they totally worked on. Mm-hmm. I love Destiny. I love all the Jackson's albums. But yeah, I think Triumph, great, yeah, Triumph for me is the most underrated, even though it had, I guess, the most hits on it, but it was still <laughs> the most underrated because people, as usual, with Michael and Prince, only know a couple <laughs> songs on it. And you have Time Waits for No One, Everybody, just so many Give It Up, just so many wonderful songs on that album. And I want to ask, who in the Jacksons camp or whoever owns the copyright to Can You Feel It sold that to Amazon? Who <laughs> did that? Who? I was in the laundromat and I'm hearing, can you feel it? I'm like, I look up and it's the Amazon smile thing. I was like, who did that? Oh, I didn't know they did that. Who? Oh, no. I didn't know until today. Because I was in the laundromat, the TV was on, and I looked up. Who Who did that? And this is my problem with any other song from that that album. They didn't have a social message you could have used. But a song that's about global unity and and, and you're using that to to sell Amazon. Like, whose idea was that? I want to know. I want to come find them. Was it Tito? Was it Jackie? (laughs) (laughs) Who was it? Who was it? I'm not sure. It it, it clearly wasn't Michael. Was it the estate? I don't know. But that's just, oh, that just irked me. Just because Jeff Bezos owns everything. Like, he just, I know. He owns everything. He owns Amazon, Whole Foods. Yeah, it's like he's Alexa, the richest man in the world. Seriously. He's the richest man in the world. Later, literally, literally. And somebody from the Jacksons camp said, okay, we'll get a few dollars. I wonder how much he um he acquired it for. They better have been smart with yes. that. Said, All right, you wanted three hundred million. How about that, Something. billionaire? If, if you go, you go and sell sure. it. Why not, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so the commercial, I didn't see all of it because usually the TV's on the laundromat. I I don't watch the TV, but I looked up, and there are people passing each other, and and one lady has a package under her arm, and then there's a little girl that's. Um, in bed and she turns around and sees one of those snow globes and there's the Amazon logo and I was like oh <laughs> no so, I don't know who did it uh, maybe I'll be invested enough to find out and let you know I don't know so I was heated for about a fraction of a second <laughs> but anyway so we have for you and mm, Triumph, I'll just say that whole era, 79-80. You have two entities, if you will, the Jacksons and Prince. Prince, one-man band, more or less, had Patrice Russian assisting him on the album, doing some programming, and then you had the Jacksons. So Randy, of course, Randy could make a whole album by himself if he wanted to. He plays a whole bunch of instruments. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, like, you know, if Prince made an album and then Brandy made an album, that would be a solid comparison, honestly. <laughs> that would be a solid comparison. Yeah. You had two individuals who could play a bunch of instruments 
and we're just holding it down. And I don't think, as much as I'm not a fan of Randy, you got to got to give the dude credit. I mean, he's brilliant on the instruments. <laughs> See, a lot of people don't know that. See, it's fine. And Michael even Jackson. said, well, Michael used to always give props to Randy. He'd be like, you know, he's the most gifted musician in the band. He can play the most instruments. He used to always give props to Randy. That's so nice. I don't know how many people knew that, but yeah. yeah. And, you know, honestly, I didn't know that. You're blowing my mind. Because <laughs> I didn't know that. I mean, I know yeah. the later Randy, which is kind of problematic in a lot of yeah, areas. But, abusers. But it's yeah. nice that we're given the parallel because, I'm sh- I mean, I'm sure, as with everything, there's a story to all of it. But I didn't know he was a good musician or that he even played multiple instruments. Well, I yes. knew he played the multiple instruments. That's not true. But I didn't know it was to the level of, did he have his own album? Around the time, like Rhythm Nation and all that, Randy had the album Randy and the Gypsies. Randy and the Gypsies. I did hear there's a song on that I'm thinking of that I heard not long ago. I remember that album, actually. Yes. And I think the first single, he had two singles out. The first one was Love You, Honey. And it kind of had the new Jack feel to it. Yay. It was a good album. It was a good album. And the funny thing is, with that album, it sort of had a, I think he actually might have gotten comparisons to Prince at the time. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Because it had so a lot of people at that time were doing the whole look with the multi ethnic, multi gender band, and a lot of people pointed to Prince. They see, (laughs) but who who put that on the map first? Sly Stone. You got to get Sly exactly. Sly was the originator for putting multi ethnic, multi gender bands on the map. I mean, it did happen, but. I mean, if you wanted to look at the Wrecking Crew and all the bands who work for Atlantic, I mean, so you all always had the Mother's Finest. Particular, oh, mother, ooh, see, ooh, you both ooh, I love Mother's Finest. <laughs> mother's Finest. Baby, love. <laughs> Early in the morning. Mm. You come. Changing. Oh. Not changing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love Mother's Finest. Um, but no, you're right. But they, I would say that Sly and the Family Stone is probably the most prominent example. The, the, the best example, really, about having multi-ethnic bands. So it's not like Prince invented it. See, this is the problem. I think, you know, you know what I'm going to blame? I'm going to blame the 80s for a second. Because, you know, I was not born in the 80s. I was born in 1992. But from what I understand about the 80s, when you just listen to the music and how it was and just kind of how people related to these different musicians, mm-hmm. like I couldn't imagine seeing Michael Jackson during the Thriller era. Like that sounds just mm-hmm. another, oh, or seeing, oh, right, or, or, like, look. <laughs> like, Let me oh, tell we, we no, wait, 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 no, 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 we no, gonna get to that. Yeah, we gonna get to that. I couldn't imagine seeing Michael during a bad era. How about go, that? Mm, go, mm. <laughs> oh Lord! But let me ask, let me ask you something, Jesse. Did your parents go to the dangerous concert and get down, and then you was born? Uh, <laughs> no, my parents were going to church. Like time to, you know, you turn that off. <laughs> I wasn't even born and he wasn't listening. No, no. Oh. I don't have that story. <laughs> I was born when Michael was singing. It was during 
the Jackson 5 section <laughs> in the show, and my mother was having contractions. Yeah! Do not, Jesse, do not come out when he's singing, I'll be there. You stay right there in my stomach. You stay right there, Jesse. You are being ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I just heard a story, actually, of a friend who told me that they... This is off topic, but you're just going to have to deal because it's funny. That the baby she saw alive, you know, a baby being born into the world, born into the world with the song I'm Coming Out by Diana Ross. No. <laughs> she said, I'm coming out. And she was just like contracted with that. Like, ah, no. what the world to know. I was like, that sounds fascinating to see that. <laughs> Could never listen to that song again, ever. It's a new me coming out, okay? <laughs> now the whole new me to that song. <laughs> Ooh. So you got, you got For You and Triumph. So even though there's not technically a comparison, you have Prince kind of going more the, the jazz, not exactly jazz, but still you saw some jazz sensibilities because... For all intents and purposes, I don't care what anybody says, Prince is a jazz musician. You had those elements. He was inspired by Earth, Wind & Fire. He was pretty open about that. But he had a major inspiration from Joni Mitchell. You definitely heard that on For You. And he had some funk going on. The Jacksons, you, you had the elements of the funk and quote-unquote disco, because Off the Wall was there. So... If you want to say off the wall and for you, you could, I guess, 79. <laughs> but I'm still going to go yes. with the Jacksons. And so you could go, you could go off the wall and triumph. And it's still, it's funny because Prince was working with himself, a little bit with Patrice Russian and a few other people. And then Michael's record with Chrissy Joe's. And then he did Triumph album, and it was the Jacksons producing the music, but still working with Greg Fillinghans and, and a lot of other musicians, George Duke, and Off the Wall. So it's really funny because Michael was working with jazz musicians, but people still saw him as coming out of being Lil Michael. And so he still, in a lot of ways, didn't have a voice of his own because people wouldn't give it to him. And Off the Wall was his way of breaking out of that, but people still relegated him to the soul R&B category, which pissed him off immensely. Prince was like, no, y'all ain't gonna label me. So he already came out like, y'all ain't gonna label me. <laughs> so I'm gonna do Joni Mitchell. I'm gonna do some funk. I'm right. Do <laughs> like, y'all ain't gonna label me, and I'm gonna have creative control. Y'all ain't gonna do that to me like you did Michael. It's just interesting if you want to have a Prince versus Michael, let's talk about it like that. Not like, yeah. they pull, they pull, and they're right. they Let's not it. do that. No, you're absolutely right. What a wonderful way of saying it, the way you just did. I mean, in some way, Prince had a advantage in how he labeled himself because he saw how they tried to do with Michael. Michael, there was a transition. And it's interesting just seeing all of their transitions because there were just... You know, each decade, so to speak, they had a different thing going on. 
Michael being a child star, everyone knowing him as adorable Mike. Oh, little, little Mike. Look at little Mike. Oh. And then Mike is like, look at me. And when I do this black or white thing, Black Panther, I'm going to break the windows. I'm going to let you see all what's going down below. I'm going to zip my pants. I'm going to grab my crotch. This is me. And they're like, no. <laughs> but even before that, but, you know, going to this off the wall, that's a total different you know, Michael is just in the scene more. And then you look at Prince, same way. Prince, he goes through the bowl method. He's like, look at me. I got the bikini on and a trench coat. And I'm singing about funk. But also, God and Jesus is on his way soon. <laughs> so he had, like, this dichotomy of, like, sex with God, you know, very present. Never divorced, really just one and the same. And then, you know, he changed his name. So it's like each of them had different moments where they were navigating the industry really. Cause again, this goes deeper than me. It's not just about the music. I mean, Prince really made the deal about owning your masters. It was a deal to him. He lived his life. When he realized that he's like, I'm not going back. I'm gonna make a website. Like all throughout the years, he was dedicated to ensuring that the artists had complete control, that they were not told anything. <laughs> that you made your own rules, basically. Um, so b- before we get back into the errors, you made an excellent point. This just came to my mind. The major difference between Prince and Michael is Michael, it seemed to me that he focused on getting the deals at the top. So for instance, he used to hang out with Akio Morita, who was the founder of Sony. A lot of people think Sony is just the music division. Sony is a huge electronics company owned by the Japanese. <laughs> exactly. It's not a U.S. based company. And I wish so, people hey, would stop saying that. I wish that. people would stop saying that. Me too. Mama, let you talk about it because so, I could go on and on about it. <laughs> so Sony is still mostly an electronics company with a music division. Sony has music divisions all over the world. Sony, BMG, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But Akio Morita was the founder of Sony. And Akio Morita was actually a member of the Trilateral Commission. Look that up. Not even going to get in that today. <laughs> we ain't oh, doing let me look that up. Today. Let me look that up right now. Hold on. But See, I take notes. Michael, good. See, that's what that's what that's what we supposed to do. We all supposed yeah. to take notes. Right? <laughs> so, so Michael ended up formulating a relationship with Akio Morita. So he was playing chess a little bit, similar to Stevie Wonder during the sale of Motown, because Stevie Wonder had a hand in greenlighting the sale of Motown to MCA. Bad idea, but anyway, bad idea. Well, we should do an episode of Stevie Wonder, but so we'd be like, okay, we're going to take this turn and do Stevie Wonder today. So Michael actually had a hand in building a relationship with Ikeo Morita and greenlighting the sale of CBS, the Japanese-owned Sony, once again, you just have different places around the world, but it's all it's all Japanese company. Akio Morita was sick, and so Michael used to, and I'm sure some of those tapes are on YouTube. I don't know if they, I haven't heard them in, in years, but he used to mail tapes to Akio Morita. I hope you're well, you know, we're friends. Wow. Yeah, he used wow. to mail when Akio Morita was really sick. <laughs> And when he won awards and stuff, he would thank Akio Morita, and they built a relationship. Michael helped to greenlight the sale of CBS to Sony. Michael did have some kind of sway, 
but not enough. He was not playing chess enough right. because right. what I was going to say was he focused a lot on getting these major deals. I really think he wasn't focused on getting his master's early enough. I think he was just, just like, okay, I'm having this positive relationship mm-hmm. with Sony in some capacity, so I'm just going to let that ride, and they're going to give me a bunch of money, and I'm going to have this right. Mm-hmm. So I think he was focused on that, but Prince always was like, I'm going to get my master's. Yeah, He was not and joking about that. He was not joking. And then when around 1999 and i'm not talking about the prince album 1999 2000 <laughs> 2001 that's when you really started michael seeing michael focus a lot on like yeah. oh wait i gotta get my masters right and he woke up he like, was like listen yeah. i just yeah. watched the interview recently about and it was on fox which i remember you know what's funny is that fox news actually i don't this is a this is totally unrelated i'm <laughs> just throwing it out there <laughs> They actually spoke really well about him. They oh, oh yeah. Like, oh, since Geraldo was on Fox. Exactly. And he was cool at the time. Yeah. Well, he, he ain't cool. Well, I don't know if he was cool. He was cool about, about you, Michael. But, he wasn't right. Cool <laughs> about Michael. But yeah, that's a good <laughs> clarification. But um, no, I was watching one and it was about the Sony thing. And, you know, he did an interview right. and he mentioned. Now, I don't think this was true. It could have been true. I'm sure you saw this interview. But I remember when I first saw it, I'm like, Michael, you didn't give. He said he wrote a check for $500 million. I now, saw that because they asked him, they're like, oh, right. you are? They he's said, like, he said, oh, I just wrote I just, a check for $500 like, million. Dollars, but no one talks about that. Good news. I and it bounced right away, didn't it, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is when you should edit that that alarm sound in the boom, 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 boom. <laughs> I am done with you, Villa. You are ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, the point is, I don't believe Michael gave that $500 million check, but I know that he had power, he had access, he had money, but you're right. Around this time, he had to get his ducks aligned in a row because he realized that they were not wavering with him. It was a hard battle. And see, Prince, when he first said, you know what, I'm going to change my name. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to change my name. And you're not going to be able to pronounce it either. And when he did that, he started releasing albums independently. He made a path. He realized, oh, wait. So not only can I not, I don't need a middleman, but I can tour with this and I can charge a million dollars for one show. Hell yeah. I don't need nobody. But he had to fight for that. Because yes. he was not known. People did not like, you know, Prince. He kind of had it hard for a while. Before yeah. Musicology, you know, 2000, when he, then he became religious. <laughs> he became right. a Jehovah's mm-hmm. Witness. Yep. And was like, I'm not performing those songs anymore. And you need to be saved. And people didn't know what to think about him. But he stuck his ground. That's what I appreciate is that he was like, nah, I'm going to do it. This is what I want. And I'm going to make it happen. And he got yeah successful and music Odyssey came yeah. along and it became this most successful tour and he realized okay not only can i own my masters then he got his masters back so he took it real chill you know it wasn't nothing but he but he definitely had to work for it and michael sadly in his case when you add to oh then you think that this is it and oh my goodness they both are a product of their experiences though and yes. i think for what they had what they dealt with they were able to circumvent the bullshit easier than before because i think before they they've had a lot of challenges with 
I guess it's the control thing, how the industry wants to make you submit to various algorithms that are not supported. I mean, because they're funding you, they're giving you this money too. You know, it's that mm-hmm. kind of relationship where it's like, yeah, we're giving you money, but you have to give us something in return. And if you don't, then this could happen or whatever. Right. But. And well, this is the thing, Michael. From my perspective, he was working too hard to try to get a seat at the table. Prince already knew he couldn't be at the table, so he played his own game. And he right. did that early on. Like Prince, when he was at Warner Brothers, like he already knew because he said, I want to make all these songs. They were like, uh-uh. So what did he do? He created the time. He created Vanity right. Six. So he already knew from like 1980, 1982, <laughs> that he couldn't be at the table. Michael, because he was doing Thriller, they were like, ha-ha. You know, so they were treating right. him like, okay, you can do this or whatever. But Prince already knew. He already knew from Jump because they tried to get creative control. He was like, no. Like every record label, he was like, if you don't give me creative control, I'm not going to sign with you. So he already stood his ground. Whereas Michael, that like you mentioned, he came from Motown. So he was coming from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Michael didn't have this platform where he had his own space. He was just seen as a performer. And so he had to learn later in life. And all these people being like, well, he was smart or whatever. The smartest thing he did was purchase ATV. Yeah. Because he had a nest egg, if you will. Like, he had that to back himself up if he got in trouble. He knew that early on. And he saw Paul McCartney because Paul McCartney purchased the Buddy Holly catalog and all that. He was watching. He was a sponge. He's sponge since he was a kid. He said, okay. So that was the smartest thing he did. That was a smart move, boy. He, yeah, he was the first individual that purchased a whole catalog. <laughs> so it used to be companies would buy catalogs. <laughs> but he was the first individual to do that. And so he played hardball yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so with that yeah. because it was actually, who was it? Was it the, was it Katzenberg? I can't remember right now. But it was uh, one of the guys who eventually was one of the heads of Sony that battled at that time in 84 and 85 to get the catalog. John Braga, who was the lawyer, he said, no, didn't we uh, have the stipulation that corporations cannot buy the catalog? So they had to drop out. And so it was like, all right. So they played hardball with that. They were like, oh, you want to play dirty? We want to play dirty. And that's how Michael got the catalog <laughs> for $48.5 million or something. And wow. Paul McCartney was like, oh, it's too much money. Yoko, you want to uh, do do the catalog? She's like, no, I'm not trying to do that with you. And she congratulated Michael. She said, congratulations on mine the catalog. There you go. Yeah. So I don't know why he knew how the industry worked, but for some reason he still wanted to be at the table. He was cutthroat at a time. Like buying that catalog, that's that's gangster, man. That's cutthroat. Right. For some reason, dangerous. Like he still wanted to sit at the table with them. I don't understand this. What happened? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> what happened, Michael? What happened? What are you doing? He was growing up. I mean, it was so much in his environment. The variables at play around the dangerous era even are considerable to look at because. I mean, this is when then he gets exploited, right? you know, and then his life changes just dramatically from that point on. <sighs> yeah, it's just that's why, you know, I was telling you earlier and I'll say this again. 
which is that you never know what life got for you next. Mm-hmm. You know, you could be navigating all your cards could be deck in a row. You could have the insight and still manage to lose something because you just didn't see it coming. And right. you're going to have to deal with it. And life just keeps moving. And that's why I appreciate how Michael and Prince navigated with just these mm-hmm. extreme events, because Michael was strong. And even in the middle of all of that, he still managed right. to still say, you know, what, I'm going I'm to I'm make a commitment. I'm going to I'm going to rehearse. I'm going to dance. I'm going to do what I need to do. But sometimes when you're too far down the water, because, again, the industry's reaction, I mean, Paul McCartney's reaction to it, like, wait, what? <laughs> You purchased my like yeah, <laughs> I so did. No, this is the game. You ain't my friend. You say say say, uh-huh. <laughs> Say 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 what? Yeah, I got your I'm catalog. What? Here's a man up, who played the up, game Paul? of life so well. Oh, we going cold. Let's, Ooh, let's just... <laughs> I'm just the man that bought your catalog. Oh, that bought well. your catalog. Oh, Ooh, well. Ooh. I'm the man that just bought up the Beatles. I'm the man. What you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> I'm alive and I'm here forever. I am oh. the man. That bought your catalog. What's up? That bought your catalog. <laughs> Yeah, he was not happy about that decision. So, see, he made good moves. And then, you know, what's interesting is that both Prince and Michael, I mean, with Prince, he realized right early on that he had the advantage with the time and other groups that he can form and still take credit because he wrote all of this stuff and produced it, mm-hmm. took credit all of the time. Um, but I think what happened is people... But, see, Prince took the kind of risk that meant if you were down for it, cool. If you weren't, cool. And let's also remember his mentor was Miles Davis. And it's like you said, he had a jazz background. I think ultimately Prince was a jazz musician to the degree that he needed to improvise. And whenever you restrained him, and we talked about this earlier, but I'm going to mention the revolution again. And, uh, you know, it's like he had a revolution for a while. But he said, okay, I need a new power. New power, (laughs) so new power generation. You know, so the MPG came along and he maintained that. And right. that gave him the freedom to just move along without being restrained to just one particular sound, because for whatever reason, the revolution were not able to maintain that for him. Not to say that <clears throat> those albums are bad, because, again, shoot, Parade is one of my favorite albums. But even with that, you see Parade has a lot of jazz phrase and you got Claire Fisher, you got, you know, a lot of different other people involved that's really creating this sonic experience. So. Yeah. I can appreciate an artist that's like, ah, I don't want to set the table because, and I think Michael is, I wouldn't probably say he was trying to set the table and my estimation, he was just chasing. Well, I guess it's the same thing saying it a different way, which is that he wanted to be on top. He was always yeah. like, Oh, I want to have the best. I want to. And he, so he kind of believed that that's right. Believe it. I am the man type of thing, which nothing's <laughs> wrong with that. But sometimes it gets to a point where, you know, money don't matter tonight. Make sure your soul's all right, because the devil's coming yeah, to get is. you. Yeah, you <laughs> <laughs> so we got, so we got Prince and Off the Wall slash Triumph. So we got Prince second album. See, okay, this is not fair because there were a few years that got skipped. So, Wait, let's do it like this. Cause mm-hmm. it's it's harder with Prince because he got too many albums. So <laughs> let's think of the most instrumental. So like '84, okay. you got Purple Rain and you got 
Well, you skipped Thriller. Well, but that was a year. I mean, that's like, what was it 82? Late 82? Because 82 was 1999. Oh, see, okay. I'm going to combine 1999 and Thriller only for the sake mm-hmm. of, you know, they're really closely related. And I mean, obviously they're different dramatically, but I think since 84 really defined, I mean, Thriller for Michael Jackson too, but I mean, Thriller and then there was Captain EO. When was that? 85. So then you had Captain EO and Around the World in a Day. Around the world in the day, ooh, Prince changes like, oh, I'm this, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that. I'm blah, blah, blah. Cloud suit. He went from cloud suit well, to. Kathy no EO shirt was 80, 86. So you had Parade and Kathy EO. All right. Well, let's, oh, here's a better. Let's stick to 87. 87 is when Prince is no longer with the revolution. But if you just look at Prince with the revolution in contrast with Michael, no, Michael no, Jackson. No, no, no. We, we got to go back to, to, to Purple Rain and Thriller. Because okay. that's pretty much the crux of all of this that's Prince versus Michael thing. Okay, so we that's gotta right. go to right. that. That's right. Okay, we gotta that's go to that. <laughs> we gotta exist. We gotta we gotta pick apart these two albums. <laughs> okay. Well, Thriller. You got Quincy Jones mm-hmm. and you got Michael. Mm-hmm. Michael is already saying he's putting out in the universe because, and the way he was snubbed for his previous album, Off the Wall. Although it was quite successful, like probably yeah. I think it was the most successful R&B record at our disco record at like ever or something like well, at the time. Would argue, some people would argue that uh, Saturday Night Fever would be the highest selling disco album. OK, I wouldn't even <laughs> say jazz is I wouldn't even say off the wall is entirely disco even. It's but, not. Right. So, I mean, but it was still a quite successful. I'm just making a point to say he wanted it to do way better than it did, although it did very well. And so he wanted Thriller to be something just unimaginable, which it was. There were a lot of factors that were involved in that. And it's interesting looking at Thriller. And then when you look at Purple Rain, this is Prince's, this is his mark. This is how people, it's almost like before Purple Rain, people forgot that he was in where mm-hmm. he was before because it just changed his overall direction. It just made him bigger than they thought. Like, oh, this is Prince. This is the purple, you know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> well, I think both albums were those albums that single-handedly skyrocketed them to international fame, yes. which means they had middle America audiences, international audiences, yes. and in some respects, the same audiences they had before those albums. Yes. Some people said, okay, they made this album to appeal to white audiences, they fell off. So there was a lot of that. Mm. Uh, especially with Michael and Bad. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> but then you had Beat It, you had the rock element. So you had Eddie Van Halen, that was uh, Quincy Jones's connection. Yeah. It was obvious Michael wanted to diversify his audiences. It's like, I'm tired of just being in the R&B canon. Mm -hmm. I'm tired of them labeling me as this one, but I want to expand. I want to be the biggest pop star of all time. Prince, I think that what Michael did was based on his actual material conditions. And what Prince did, I think in the case of Purple Rain was also the material conditions. But again, you couldn't pin him down so he said, okay, I'm going to make this album to get my foot in the door. This is survival. This is purely survival. And then I'm going to move on. For Michael, it was 
survival in the sense of being the biggest star. Prince just wanted to move on. That's just my right. perspective. <laughs> That's Jamila's perspective. People don't have to agree with that. Right. But, Take but it for as Michael, you want. this was yeah, this was him like I'm trying to appease my father. I want to be the biggest person of all time so my father can finally be proud of me. And I also want to better how I was. I'm a perfectionist. Prince, also a perfectionist, again, was like, okay, I'm making this one album. My next album going to be different. Better than this <laughs> like, one. The last yeah, exactly. album is the... Like it, yeah, it, it wasn't it. like he wasn't trying to repeat Purple Rain. <laughs> I love that he always said, he was like, what's your favorite song? And he was like, the next one. <laughs> like in his mind it was all great because it's all connected to one song you know it's not fragmented it's not isolated you can't have one without the other so if you ask me what i you know so that i think that's a song called one song so. one song yeah i am the universe <laughs> the sun the moon and the sea all connected so but I think with, with this is my thing with Thriller. Like, I'm just not convinced at half the songs. People don't like Invincible. But again, this is a dude that was twice divorced and had two kids at that point. I'm convinced. He's just yeah. world weary. Like, I wasn't convinced at him singing PYT. Like, I just, like what is this? But, I like to love you. Yeah, I'm no, not. No. I ain't got no problems with none of that songs on. Let me mention that I don't have no problem with Thriller, okay? I, I know. I, I love all. There's not I a lot know. I was telling to Miller earlier, you know. Wait, you like the like, girl's like, You like the girl's mind? Yeah. You like the girl's mind? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't like oh, 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 okay. You say okay. I got no problem. All right, all right. All right. Well, you're right. Thank you. Thank you. I, Thank you. I, Thank you. I, Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it, because you're right. I don't really care for the girl. <laughs> I don't listen to that one. But when I think of Thriller, of course, I think Billie Jean. I think Thriller. I think yeah. The Lady in My Life. I think Baby Be Mine. I yes. think Human Nature. I don't have no problem with those songs, okay? None. Okay, so I, that's what I was getting ready to say, because I think Lady in My Life, I'm convinced that that's Yeah, an you convinced that that was Diana Ross. Yeah, I heard, think he's singing a Diana Ross, so I'm convinced. The other version, He too. was saying it. He was singing in Lady But PYT, he's like, where did you come from? I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm it, not convinced. Ooh, I can, ooh, oh. baby, don't you think? Do the road you got to be. But my faith is to fly with me. No. No, no, no. It's a bad Listen, hearing that nope. song as a 17-year-old who discovered music like that after listening to just... Sweet love, It's like, uh-uh. I heard that, and I was like, yes, because it reminded yeah, me of the yeah. other funk music of James Brown and all the other people. Right, right. So I can appreciate P. White, but that's because you see how music, music is funny. You could be yeah. like that, where it's like, eh, don't care for it. Where for me, it's like, yes. But Purple Rain, so we talked about Thriller a bit, so let's throw in Purple Rain a bit. Yeah. On that album, you said something... Jamila said, and you're going to have to clarify this for you listening. What did I listening. say? You said that you like the endings better than the overall yes, song. Yes, I do. So yes, explain that. Let's get some context. I just on. love when Prince would jam. So the first song, even though I grew up hearing Soft and Wet, that stuff came on the radio. But the first song I specifically remember of Prince as a whole was I Want to Be Your Lover. And the thing that attracted me to that song the end 
Yeah, when they played the song on the radio. Right. They didn't. They didn't have no single version on the radio. They used to Kiss FM. W. They used to play the nice. whole GM, all five. So years. you heard that. And I was like, boom, boom. what is that? That was literally <laughs> yeah. the first Prince song. I, and how old was I? I was like, when's that? 70? That was 80. So I was like four or five or something like that. Wow. That literally. Yeah. So I remember hearing soft and wet on the radio because you, you just remember. Like you remember. But I want to be your lover. I was like, what is this? I didn't know the words. I knew like the I got it. Like, you know, you know. And then he played it on American Bandstand, but they used to play the whole gym. And I, I knew. That's why I was like, this is cool. What is this? And I'm like four or five years old. Whenever I would hear a Prince song, I always wanted to hear the gym. And so when you would hear 1999, same thing. They would always cut it off. And then whenever I would hear the little full version, I'm like, that's it. That's what you're supposed to do. So every song that Prince did during that Warner Brothers period, I always wanted to hear the jam at the end. And it's, it's very much like P-Funk. You listen because of the jam, the last 15 minutes of the jam. <laughs> That's right, because they musicians, they jamming, and when they jam, you don't know what could happen. You might hear like, a piano yeah. solo, synthesizer solo, guitar solo, you never know. Yes. <laughs> so Prince did the jam. And so when he's doing the end of Darling Nikki or something, I want to hear the beginning. We're doing a beautiful one. I want to hear the, the, the end, especially Purple Rain. I'm telling you, the end with the strings, that's, I, I, I want that to be your whole song. That should be your whole song. So I, I sort of feel differently now looking at the, the actual live footage before it got all cut up and everything and re-edited to be put in the movie. If you actually listen to the original version of that song, I'm like, okay, I get it now. I get why that song is beautiful. I get it. The way they That's edited why it, the estate up, I was like, needs mm. to not play around and release the first AF performance because yeah. that's Purple Rain right there. Yeah. I don't care for the that, movie. I've already said that several times. I don't need to watch the Purple Rain movie. Although I do like <laughs> the time sometimes because it's funny seeing yeah. a couple of brothers being <laughs> fools. But I don't need the movie. But you watch the first AF, that's all you need. You see it all, and people are watching, and you see their reactions, and they're like, <gasps> like what is this? They're like, oh, what is, oh. Right. And then you listen to C- Computer Blue, the end, when they're doing the, their take yeah. on like, That's the stuff I want to hear. Like, if they had all of the, if that was Purple Rain, where it was all just instrumental jams, I would actually like the album. Oh, I wish it was. Ins- oh, imagine Purple Rain instrumental. Oh, ah. oh. And Ooh, it's so, don't like, give me I ain't gonna say no ideas. I don't want them profiting off of my ideas. If God <laughs> was on that album, God not like why was that not why is that a B side? To me, when they did, you know, the end of Darling Nikki, hello, how are you? Like God could have been on the other side. Why was that a decision to not put that? Because I don't it's called God. That's probably Oh, why. okay. I got also, it. Also also because <laughs> Yeah, and also because <laughs> It's um. I was thinking of something else. There's a reason. Yeah, because it was said that the reason why he said elevator is because he was supposed to say, "Are oh, we gonna let the devil bring us down?" That's oh. what people say. That's been here. I've heard that a lot. Like they was like, "You can't say devil. You can say the elevator." What? Um, that's what I heard. I don't know how verifiable that is. And it actually sounds better as the elevator anyway because it's a metaphor. I think that's right. a bit too blunt. 
I love the song God by Prince. The instrumental is my favorite. That is literally one of my favorite songs of all time by Prince. It is in my top five. And that is during the Revolution era. Okay, people? (laughs) See? So this is why I like Prince, because it's not like I'm saying anything he did before the New Power Generation wasn't good, because, again, we're speaking of God, I've spoken Parade, and there are many examples of him really at his Oh, we've got some Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's just the fact that just seeing the changes and why those changes had to happen are really good for context sake. It makes us not really focus on one thing. Well, considering the overall picture. You listen to a song like Sexy Dancer, okay? That jam at the end. Hello. Him playing them keys. Hello. That's what I want to hear. The first half of the song, if that was on at a party, I'd be like, sexy dancer. You know, I'd be like, what's up? But I'll, uh, when that jam come on at the end, I'd be like, ah! so <laughs> That's what I want to hear. Yeah. I want to hear that. And then, why you want to treat me so bad? That j- his jam. Yes. yes. Prince is excellent at jam. Yeah, well, that's because the Prince knew. That's why my favorite. One of my favorite aspects of Prince, this is why I do bootlegs, is because he would jam. And you never yeah. know what jam you're getting. 20 yeah. minutes. Here you go. It's like, oh, no, he just did a solo for three minutes. It's so <laughs> awesome. Or then you hear a drum solo, and this is, you know, whatever it is. So I love that. I'm in love with that. I'm in love with um, funk. And just the idea of letting the instruments go funk or jazz, any form of allowing the music to just go wherever it goes is nice. And there was a focus to that. So anyway, going back to Purple Rain and Thriller. Um, wait, wait, what before there was the literally what was it the thirteen minute guitar solo? What was that, eighty five Purple Rain? What Billy? Yeah. Oh, you don't ooh. No, wait, no. No, I know which one you're talking about. Okay. I was yeah, no, that first, was like I, a, at first I thought he has a song called Billy and he's playing the guitar for like 48 minutes. What? Yes, it's called <laughs> Billy. It's unreleased. He's like, "Billy, where'd you get those sunglasses?" and it's like, "Yeah, and it's like guitar the whole thing." And I think that's an 84. That's why he got them biceps. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, guitar "How could you play guitar? I bet his hands were all red and prickly and ooh. But What? Yeah, it was crazy. So, no, I know that he's listen. Prince, could, you know, that's what I'm. This is one of the reasons I respect him and I love him because you don't know what you're getting. You just no. never know. And so that's why when, when Michael would do shows and he would just bust out an ad lib. It's like, can you do that? Oh, did Michael you see that recent use? meme that's being shared now of Michael like beating? I'll I'll send it to you. The point is, you're right about Michael. <laughs> What? Like the ad libs when he would do the when he would go into it with, with the soul ad libs and mm-hmm. like just can you feel it? <laughs> can you feel it? <laughs> <laughs> can you feel it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all of that. <laughs> oh no no. And then I remember <laughs> when who was it? It was New Edition. It was on their Heartbreak album. They did that. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was like the end of that album or something when it said, Let me tell you something about it. It's so funny you say that because I listened to a new edition song recently 
And I'm like, y'all took everything from the Jacksons. Yeah, they did. <laughs> everything. They, they acknowledged that. They acknowledged, they acknowledged I mean, it. They acknowledged yeah. it, so I respect it. But I was listening to one song. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Like, it was so obvious. I was like, okay, well, good thing y'all honoring your ancestors by sounding like them. That's okay, too. As long as you credit it. <laughs> as long as you're not a Sam Smith or a Adam Lambert or a Ed Sheeran. I'm dropping names, y'all. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I just just if Michael did that, just allowed himself to just let loose on some of the songs. And I think he started doing that when he was older, but when he was trying to get his foot in the door to be the quote king of pop, he limited himself in so many ways. It's really sad to see that. Again, I, I love him, but I gotta acknowledge that. I think he didn't give himself enough freedom to do. And there's some songs he has in the ball. He has classical music in the ball. He has a whole bunch of stuff, but didn't release it. Like, why didn't you release some of that stuff? And again, he started doing that in the later years so he would put classical elements and and rock and things like that but yeah i'm glad also, yeah eventually yeah. he did yeah. take advantage of the different genres and styles of music he could do and he started to incorporate that that's why history is so great because you're getting a big wow. mix of that history that. in the mixed i, I think that. <laughs> that is the best album that's one of the best album titles because history in the mix, yeah. yeah history in the mix and then past present future because yeah, it's that three. It's just like you're seeing all of it. I mean, obviously he didn't want. I don't think he wanted to release that the first one where it was just the hits, right? Or was that? Yeah, I he reading. wanted to have. He wanted to have a whole eight album collection. It was, he Ooh, wanted to have see? really large collection, but it's dealing with the same issues as Prince. Yeah, and they're like, <laughs> um, no. no, we're gonna give you two CDs. How about that? Yeah. You got Very one CD for songs yeah. like I don't know, Billy Jean, Remember the Time. Da, 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 da. And then you can do your I, but I love that's still a good collection. And I think I mean, yeah, we talked about Stranger Moscow, but then we can go on about this time around. Mm. Um childhood. There's yeah, that's just a gem of an album. But anyway. So I would say if we're gonna do you know Prince Person, I would definitely say Diamonds and Pearls is in some ways like history i think that was really that i can think of i can that's a good comparison in the sense that they're both like you might know more than me but i think like diamonds and pearls from no it's great i'm saying it's great yeah because diamonds and pearls (laughs) is all over the place right but to me diamonds and pearls is essentially for all intents and purposes a jazz album but i think Diamonds and Pearls is the first album I can think of where he's being explicitly political. I know other songs he's been political, but it's like history and where you it's or you could even say dangerous, but really history, Michael was like, I don't care. I don't care. Yeah. And JFK, they, dangerous money, all these songs. Right. He, he really and so care. oh we gotta we gotta get to ninety one. So so yeah, so we got dangerous. Uh, that, what Diamonds and Pearls is ninety two, right? No, you were right, ninety one. See, how do I know all these dates? I don't even. <laughs> See, I know. I they helped me remember. Ninety one was Diamonds and Pearls because ninety okay. was Graffiti Bridge. 
Right. So yeah, ninety one okay. was um. So we was got incredible. dangerous and graffiti bridge. So people don't talk about this. I'm always talking about it. Dangerous was the period where Michael Jack print stuff. I don't care what anybody says. What? Yeah. If you hear a lot of the stuff that didn't uh, end up on the album, you hear Prince. And he even had a few references in his songs. I'm like, okay. I didn't know that. You learned something new? I'm just saying I hear it. He never acknowledged it. But, I but you know, it. on one point on Diamonds and Pearls, that, that album is very interesting because you're getting a lot of different sounds on it. You know, that's when he's really bringing rap to the scene. Right. I mean, he did it a bit with the New Power Generation on Graffiti Bridge. He had mm-hmm. TC rapping, but now you got Tony, and he's a part of the band, and he is Tony rapping. M, yeah. Tony mm-hmm. M is rapping. So this is like a definite different, and I don't mind Tony. I'm not one of those people that be like, oh, Tony M. I mean, I listen to, I don't mind Tony M for some of the stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't listen to it all the time, but it's all according to a mood anyway. I don't see why people have to dismiss a whole thing just because of one thing being kind of weird. But anyway, um, it's just all over the place, though, because then he has a song like Walk Don't Walk, which is sort of reggae. And right. then you got Blue. No, that's the next album, not Blue Light. Um, it's just a lot of different flavors. And it's not as I feel like the Love Simple album is a bit more consistent. Because sometimes mm-hmm, with but me, but not as good as Diamond. But not as good. No, not as good. <laughs> that's the thing because it's not. It's really kind of that's a weird one too. But on the benefit of Diamonds and Pearls, what I like about it is, like you said, there's that jazz element. You can't. I mean, just listening to the title track, Diamonds and Pearls, which oh. let me say, it, Rosie Gaines, mm. don't even psh, mm. get out of here. Like mm. that's just another another role. But like if you listen to that compositionally, it's totally jazz. Just from when you when you oh when you get into that bridge, mm. Mm-mm. Oh, so now you're gonna make me wanna watch it. <laughs> I haven't seen that video in years since it came out, probably. It's in HD quality on YouTube. Take advantage of that. (laughs) Oh, on the Prince channel? Yeah, on the Prince channel. That's right. (laughs) Every Friday? (laughs) Yeah, every Friday. They they just released uh, You Make My Sunshine. Oh, I I saw that. But I I saw that. And you stole. Yeah. And then uh, the B side to that is when will we be paid? So, yeah. <laughs> For the work we done. See, why why are we knowing all this stuff? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You always say that you don't know a lot about Prince, but you know you know a lot. You know, I you know your censors. So. I guess so. <laughs> I mean, we I mean, couldn't I'm do this like... podcast if the both of us didn't know much about Michael or Prince. Let's also True. keep that in mind. We're I mean, not I, clueless yeah. here. We do our research. I, mean, I do have the stuff and I play it when I had my radio show. I did, so, you know, I, I had to know something. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we have to get to Bad and Parade. Well, yes. 86-87. Yes. <laughs> Those are interesting times. Now, I love Bad and I love Parade. Yeah. I love those periods i feel like those were also different times for prince and michael personally because this is also michael kind of 
Because I mean, you would think after anything monumental like Thriller, I mean, again, Thriller is just this huge thing, you know, mm-hmm. huge, huge, the biggest thing, actually. <laughs> so how do you come back from that? Or what do you do after that? So he does. And I think he did a good job because you look at bad and you see. Yeah. That's when you see like, whoa, man, you can move like that. You can spin like that. You can link. You can anti-gravity lean. You could sing like that. You can involve like the jazz phrases, like in Liberian Girl, like that. Like he, mm. he went another level. And live, he was singing. He was doing all kind of. I mean, this is also the time where he's really singing live most of the mostly. I mean, there's yeah. some songs he's singing live, but for the most part, he's singing. It's not canned, and he sounds great. <laughs> yes. Okay. And so Prince. And I just want to say, okay. if somebody has any live footage of Michael singing "Man in the Mirror" on the Bad Tour, I would love to see it. The whole <laughs> song live. The whole song, so not just live. the second verse or whatever. <laughs> That's all I wanted That'd to, to say. <laughs> That'd be great to see. I don't um, recall. I mean, I might beat them for that. I just, I'm just saying, I don't recall it. So if anybody knows of any footage where he's singing it. In full live without a backing track. <laughs> Please let us know, okay? You need to stop. <laughs> Just say it. Anyway, <laughs> the funny thing is, I would say another part of me. Oh, nice. That is, to me, Michael's most spiritual message in his whole catalog. To me, he's talking about universal law or God's law and how everything is interconnected. And it just reminds me of Love Sexy for some reason. I just thought of that. Da, 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 da. Just a little bit like like something that would be on Love Sexy. I don't I don't know why. Well, you know what? I do believe there's a correlation because that's the whole message of Love Sexy. It's a bit more Yes. You know, the central is I wish you heaven if you say eleven and it's love and positivity and glam slam thank you ma'am <laughs> so all of it just it goes back to just the interchange and another part of me i'm so glad you said it that's one of my favorite that's one of the intros to michael jackson i might add i saw Whoa. a video of that not long and it was just just his dent the neck thing and it was just it was so nice and funky and how you doing it's just oh man yeah. this song is just one of the most original songs um so yeah i would get that i would i would totally affirm that it's a very good connection so and those I, were the, very good periods for for the both of them. i think yeah. 1986 was yeah. such a good time for them like like well, you get yeah. parade and oh yeah good time well, the funny thing is another part of me it's one of the songs I mean, Michael always worked on songs for years. Like, he started working on Liberian Girl in 1983. So, mm-hmm. they were similar in that way where they would work on songs for years. They don't yeah. care about us. He started doing during the dangerous period. But I love that. with Yeah. With another part of me, it's kind of funny because that was in Captain EO. You yeah. didn't see him repeat songs a lot. Like, there were a few times Prince repeated. but now, I can think of a couple of times he was like, wait. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't hear Michael do that a lot, and he he may have had references to other songs, but not do a whole repeat or a do over of a song. But another part of me was was that one song he did that, and then the bad version he had a little bit more funk to it. 
and the scents were different and so yeah and and there was a second verse and that kind of stuff so it was interesting another part of me is a dope song like just from the development because just like you said he doesn't repeat songs a lot so for him to go back to that he really had to come out because and that's a rare one no one talks about that song as much as they should and and i think that song that was one of the songs that he was fighting with quincy jones over if i'm not mistaken Mm, i can see that and uh i know one of the songs that was being fought over with streetwalker which i am entirely glad did not end up on the bad album some people may argue with that yeah oh i just saw (laughs) wait briefly i saw a connection so 86 was the last time prince started working with the revolution and the last time michael started working with quincy that's a good one. I just realized that it's like they that's both like that was the last good. parade was the last album he did with the revolution. It was no more revolution albums, no more tours, no more movies, none of it. None of it. Um same with Bad. Michael never turned back. He never say, How you doing, Quincy? He said, I wanna thank Quincy. <laughs> but he didn't say, Yeah, me and Quincy can work. Which let me say on a brief note, Quincy, chill out, brother. You need to chill out, homie. Rest yourself now. <laughs> How old is he, like, 86? He need to chill out because he's doing too much nonsense with this uh, (laughs) storytelling. Leave your stories to yourself. If you won't share it, you go ahead and write a book and don't say nothing else. Get off Twitter. He wrote a book, though, right? Yeah, but he's saying more stuff. He ain't finished. He's like, oh, I got more. I want to live forever. (laughs) I want to live forever. Well, we, we, we don't, so, you know, deal with it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So just keep it moving and count your blessings. But, well, <laughs> yeah, but those are right. Episode of Arsenio Hall, he was doing a monologue, and he was saying when he, when he was growing up, and he heard controversy by Prince, and his mother told him, or he heard it as, count your blessings. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Count your blessings. <laughs> That's a good affirmation. There it is. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Again, I was raised in a religious household. Those songs come to me all the time. (laughs) So you had Bad, but then you had Parade, and then Sign of the Times. So for every one album, Prince had three. (laughs) That's not fair. (laughs) See, that's not fair. Then you're right. You're absolutely right. See, that's what made Prince kind of like... He was just a musician. That's the thing. He just recorded all the time. Right. And he he released them. And and if it was up to him in 86, we would have had a three CD album. It would have been Crystal Ball. So Crystal like, Ball so, I mean, Warner Brothers was like, look, nah, you can't release all this album. You didn't even sell as much as you did the last time. You got to stop. And he was like, no, here's another one. So he was doing a lot. So it's, yeah. but when you look at the context of those albums, you're getting a newer sound each chapter because mm-hmm. it's kind of awesome that Thriller and Purple Rain, you know, those are the two albums we were kind of like, eh, we don't care about. But the, the response to that was even better. I right. like how they kind of, they responded better because they could have easily been subjugated to just repeating. What's funny about Thriller is that he was still on tour with his brothers. Yes, he was. <laughs> Ain't that some shit? <laughs> <laughs> he was the yeah. biggest star in the world, and he is touring with them. 
That's why he said that last show. So uh yeah, yeah, woo. So uh last show we're doing. He said it's, and they like, it's been a great twenty years. Yeah, thank great you. twenty years. Thank thank you so much. <laughs> this is their last tour. This is their this last, is last tour. show at Dodger Stadium. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And they're all so this, looking like what, they're what like, you wait, 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 what? It's like I have exceeded your boundary, my brothers. <laughs> you will no longer be on tour with me. Get away from me. <laughs> and he did. That whole tour. I, I don't I haven't heard anybody talk. Every single piece of footage I have seen, he looked pissed off. And he sang yeah, that way. He is. And, and that was probably some of his strongest live vocals too. <laughs> he was not having it. <laughs> not having it. I don't see like, why people don't talk about these moments. They're so great. Too to get like, over. Too low to get on. <laughs> Stuck in the middle. Let your pain is thunder. Yeah, yeah. How to get over. Beat it. Yeah. So Michael definitely had a big chance. So, so it's interesting looking at their transformations. These pivotal moments in their careers yeah. where they did just the unthinkable, the things that really made them legends, because it's a big deal when you really change the setup like that. And what right. was different with Prince is, see, Prince did it consistently to the degrees of which it's like, okay, every album, or every year he was basically doing an album, and he was touring. And so he was he was changing, you know, he was having these different experiences. So, alright, so we got his, so we did Dangerous. Did we do Dangerous? Yeah, we did Diamonds and Pearls, and dangerous dd that's funny two d's diamonds and pearls dangerous so the next album so we're gonna have to skip some prince albums because you got obviously 92 (laughs) he did a hits that doesn't really count no he did um love symbol that was 92 right yeah and then he did the hits yeah and then 94 he did come (laughs) right Prince is dead, 1958 to 1994. He was announcing that he died, basically. That was the cover. Of, of, um, oh, Prince. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Michael did not do an album in 94, but 95, History. That's Chaos and Disorder and The Gold Experience. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, and The Gold Experience. He released three yeah. albums in 95, I believe. Of course, three albums to every Michael's one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. So, yeah, you have history. He didn't care. He was dealing with all the Tom Snedder stuff. (laughs) And he said, Look, y'all don't care about me. I don't care about you. Here's my album. Have a good day. Right. Talking about conspiracy theories on the album. And my thing, why it's my favorite Michael album. Not only is it that he didn't care, but it was the most cohesive album. The reason why I don't like Thriller in a lot of ways is because it's the least cohesive to me. It was a whole bunch of hits, and that was its main purpose. It served its purpose. But to me, Bad, some people say Bad wasn't cohesive, but it was a little bit more than Thriller to me. But History, it told a story. And the same with Invincible in a lot of ways. You had uh, Unbreakable and then Threatened. Like, they kind of had similar 
song structures and they told similar stories. So it was bookends. And you had similar to history. So you had Scream, is like, I'm tired, stop pressuring me. And then Smile, it's like, I'm going through all of this, I'm just gonna smile through all of it. It was just bookends. And I actually wrote a huge essay about it, which I need to find. <laughs> I think it was actually for the book I was writing, so I need to really find it. That to me is what made history work. You had all kinds of emotions from Michael. You had vulnerability, the strength through it all. And then you had the conspiracy theories, <laughs> you know, all of that. And it was such, for Michael, it was a perfect album. And it's very sad that he had to go through that in order to produce that album. Yeah, It's really interesting that he had to go through all of that and managed to come out on top, though. Well, I'll say the, the one song that I could do without that album is, like, why is that on the, why? Oh, yeah. What? No, what are you doing? You is know, that just laughing at Paul McCartney? Like, they both like that song. Are they, yeah, is he funny? <laughs> is it their way of laughing at Paul McCartney? It could be. Because Prince performed that song a lot around 2007, during the Planet yeah. Earth time. He was always doing it, and it was like, uh. But I think the thing, Prince does a better job. Michael no, didn't I really do much with it. I think well, Prince I did a better job. Prince did. I mean, both of them. You know what, Paul McCartney. I mean, I, that song is <laughs> weird. Michael's version. I'm not gonna say I don't like it because I do. I mm-hmm. can listen to it sometimes, and I actually like his version better than Prince's version. Because <laughs> okay. the the Prince versions I've heard, I, he I combines it with Seven, which is, makes it like right. I don't like how I'd rather Seven be alone. But he combining it with that, right. like it just cheapens it in a way. But that's that's just all me. Uh, I mean, be. I personally don't like any version of the song. That includes the beat. I don't like any version of the song. But yeah. I think Prince is always going to add a little bit more to when he does covers. And the thing about that is Michael rarely did covers. That was yeah, literally true. the second or third cover he's done on album. Prince, yeah. on the other hand, has done several covers. I'm glad he didn't do a cover of that. Bet you by Golly Wow is one of his best covers, I think. I don't like his cover of that, I have to say. Really? I don't like it. He did, did, what what if God is one of us? I actually kind of like that. I like one of us. Then what else did he do? He did a... You know what cover I don't really like? I like the guitar, but that doesn't count. But what if? (laughs) Mm. Did you hear that one? I think so. It's with Hannah, Third Eye Girl. Hannah Mm -hmm. and Prince are singing on this song. um, No, I don't think I've heard that. All right, then. I'll send it to you. Wait, is that a live version? It's on YouTube. No, it's the studio version. It was a one-off. You know how Prince sometimes would just release it to a radio and then don't you never hear from it? Yeah, I don't think I've heard that one. Ooh. It's on YouTube. Huh. Okay. (laughs) Of course. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind the musicianship, but I don't like the yeah. structure of the song. I gotta hear this one. And oh. it's a cover of a Christian song. I'd be surprised. Right. Oh, what if? What if you're wrong? <laughs> that's, well, that's probably you know, why I don't like it because I don't like songs like that. That just I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, what you were about to say? What? What? When will we be paid? That's a great cover. That's a People wonderful singers. cover. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's, you know, can't beat the staples, the original, but I'm like, you, you did, you did, you did, you did. You did I had a pleasure good. of seeing that song perform very often. No! Three years ago. Yeah, when no! I rehearsed with him. No! 
We pick cotton. No. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. How come when I saw Prince, he didn't do none of that? that and you saw crazy. him around the time he was doing that song, too. It's yeah, weird I, that you didn't. But he didn't do it. I got to look at the I got to look at the, the set list and see what he did. Uh, uh, I don't remember him doing that. Because he did somebody... that song a lot. Around 2004 is when he, like, actually around. 99. I would say 99, that whole Rainbow Children. I don't era, remember even, him doing that song. He did it a lot. I gotta look at the set list. And then um, somebody said they saw that tour and he did God. And I was like, I don't remember yeah. him doing that. I don't instrumental him doing that. though. It was the instrumental. They tripping. Then he might have, but I don't remember him doing He it. never did that song, like singing it live. No, he didn't. <laughs> he did it well, instrumental. He, did, he would have he Renato did turn up. Well, he did huh? it. He sang it during Purple Rain tour. <laughs> well, he sang, I'm saying he sang after, it? Oh, okay. Oh. After that, and I don't believe he did. No, I don't. Yeah, he did. He did. Um, during the Purple Rain tour, he sang it. God. Yeah. I'm gonna go to PrinceVault.com. Yeah, he did it for. No, you're right. You're right. Actually, actually he did. He did, and it's on bit because it's actually. Part of that Purple Rain um, box set is on there too. Right. So. <laughs> but after he show wasn't singing God in 2004. <laughs> I don't know why God. I mean, his song's God and he's Jehovah's but I don't know why he wasn't doing it. He would never do that. That's what I'm. Well, I'm saying based on I'm. I know he didn't do it through uh, musicology. I'm gonna be petty and say I like his cover. Nothing compares to you. <laughs> uh, you funny. I did not cover that. I wrote nothing compared to I wrote that song. 34th Street Station. I swear I saw Candy Dolfer on the sax. She was playing Pick Up the Pieces, which was one of the... I remember you told me this story. <laughs> yeah, and then I was, and I was looking. I was like, is that Candy Dolfer? My sister's like, we have to go. And then literally a month later, she's with Prince. And I was like, ah! <laughs> If that's not the biggest flow of irony. <laughs> I know. But yeah, she's in the train station. And I, I, I swear that was her. What other white ladies are playing pick up the pieces on the set but Candy Dolfer? I don't have any regrets, but if I had to say I had one, that was one that I didn't. I didn't. I listened to my sister and went off. I should have just been like, no, I'm going to ask her. But she was like, now nah, let's go. That's Candy Dolfer. Anyway, so uh, the band... Prince, of course, John Blackwell, Rhonda Smith, Mike Scott, Renato, Chan Tower, Greg Boyer, Maceo, and Candy Dolfer. So that was a band. And I specifically remember the part of the set where he invited people on stage. And there was this woman dancing all over Prince. He's like, no, 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 no. And then he, he invited somebody else. So here we go. Here's the set list. Yes, I remember this set list now. It's just, I remember this. So Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction speech. I actually do not remember that. That was the beginning of the show. I don't remember. Just for clarifying, take, a, what date is the show? Oh, yeah. I forgot the time. <laughs> oh, well, that would help. 30, 31, the 31st of August, 2004. Wow. And so he okay. played uh, the 30th and the 31st. So this was at a key arena in Seattle. They were kind of similar set lists, but there were different songs and some added and stuff like that. And so I looked at both sets. I was like, yeah, this is definitely the show I went to. And I remember my ticket, which I don't have anymore. It's somewhere. (laughs) 
So he did a Rock and Roll, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction speech, which I don't remember. Musico- I definitely remember him opening with Musicology. Intro Musicology, and then it says including Tighten Up. I remember him playing. The, I rem- So I'm like vaguely starting. It's coming back. So he did a Archie Bell and the Drills Tighten Up. So and then he did a, Let's Go Crazy. I would die for you when doves cry. I really don't remember the purple race. <laughs> I really sorry. Um, let's go crazy. I would die for you when doves cry. Baby, I'm a star. Includes 1999, the intro. Uh, he did your favorite song. Yay! <laughs> Break it down. <laughs> he did DMS. I remember that. Yes, DMSR. Pass the P. I remember the set. Oh my God. Pass the P's. No diggity. I remember the set. Uh, and then he did D- DMSR again, the coda. A Love Bazaar, Into the Glamorous Life. I remember that. I feel for you. Controversy. A Love Bazaar, Controversy Coda. And then uh, Renato plays the Purple Rain. He's with the crying, backwards crying segue. What a Wonderful World. Interlude. Sometimes the snow's in April. He did do that? I, oh, I don't remember it. But it's an instrumental. Oh, was that on the guitar? Because I think he might have played that on the guitar. Because he did, uh, Mm. Yeah, because yeah, this was you said this was the 31st of August. Yeah, of yeah. this was a guitar set. Yeah, yeah, he did the solo. He did an acoustic set. Yes, this was the so yes. So he did sometimes the snows in April on guitar. Remember this. Oh, it's starting to come back. So he did. Uh, it's all coming of, back. It's all coming back to me now. Oh, the, oh no, please. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I kind of like Celine. Well, I actually do. No, Prince, Prince actually wrote that one song for her. With this tear, yeah. I the one. The one. Yes. I long for you to touch me like you did. Yeah, I love all that shit. I played that on my show. You're a real one. You're a real one. You you getting all of them. <laughs> hey, I love music. What can I say? <laughs> hey, the Little Red Corvette. I remember this show. This is so oh, wow. Little Red Corvette Creep. Yes. Alphabet Street, Prince in the Band. Oh, I remember this. I, I'm, so, I'm getting excited because I remember this Wait show. till you get the show. <laughs> I can never play, take the place of your man. The rules. I don't remember that part. <laughs> The rules, Raspberry wow, Beret. that's rare. The rules. He didn't do he that. He did one that on this tour. The, yes, <laughs> Raspberry Beret, sweet thing. I remember it. Oh my god. Uh, I want to be. I definitely remember because I was like, because because again, I'm telling you, I have sentimental feelings about that song. So seeing him do that because that's the first Prince song, and he did it on acoustic. I was really excited. Black Sweat. I remember this. I can't get us. I remember the set seven pop life. Sign of the Times, Whole Lot of Love, Less Work, is a Loopsy Lou. And I know you got the look. Life of the. So this is when he goes back to the band, I think. Yeah. You so, had a good show. Yeah. So it was a it's good show. Rocking. You got yeah. Whole Lot of Love. It a Whole Lot of Love, Less Work. You got the look. Life of the Party with Hot Pants. I remember that specifically. Hot Uptown. Pants by James Brown. Don't take it higher. <laughs> 
he did, he did Soul Man. I remember that. Kiss and Take Me With You. And he did, uh, oh, Chance Howard did the lead vocals on Soul Man. He did uh, Take Me With You. It includes the fishing hole, Hollywood swinging, the street beater. I don't, 77793, seven, I don't remember that. Drum coda, drum coda, drum coda, drum coda. It's not because he didn't do it for a long time. This is when he was kind of bringing back the sampler set. Right. I mean, not really. Okay. The sampler set didn't okay. come until like maybe 31, 21, but still around this time he would do loops for just like 30 seconds, you know. Okay. He like, ha, ha, ha. And then he'll be like, yeah. no, not He's anymore. like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened, too. That's totally what happened. And then he said, Call My Name in Purple Rain. And I remember. Call My Name. He didn't yeah. do that song a lot live either. I mean, mm. even though it was on the Musicology album, he didn't do it live a lot. So. Wow. So I actually remember the set. And I remember by the time he did Purple Rain, he looked drained. Oh, yeah. I remember because I was watching him when he was doing his solo and he it looked like something was bothering him or I don't cuz the rest of the show I don't know maybe there was something He was like, "Oh, I have to do this song again." <laughs> and I don't know if he was processing something or he was drained. Yeah, I remember this being a good and I went with seven people who were obsessed with Prince, but they were obsessed with the 80s Prince. And so mm. I really like Prince and respected him as a musician. And that's where I stood on it. And they're like, oh, my God, do you like him even more now? And I said to them, I like him the same as I did before I came to the show. <laughs> that's what I said to they them. They wanted you to be transformed. They wanted you to be like, oh, right. I see the glory of the purple. But I think glory. they were all disappointed because that was the JW period. And they were like, why? They wanted him to do Dirty Mind or whatever. And he wasn't doing that. But I mean, he did Black Sweat. Get out of here. Yeah, it's people don't listen. It's like Prince has always maintained that sexual energy. It never changed throughout the years. If only it transformed. So it became more clever. So he wow. would write a song on Elixir called Something You Already Know. Or he'll say something <laughs> like, Bria's singing this stuff. Now, he wrote this. Right. Have some trouble walking, and only heaven knows that finding all my clothes would be a miracle. Or the title track <laughs> to that album, Here I Come. So right. let's not act like Prince, you know, didn't actually speak or black sweat, like you said. I mean, that's a, I don't want to take my clothes off, but I do. But I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, that was, that was a, a good show. And the thing, that I appreciate about print shows. Yes, there's a lot of people who love the 80s stuff, but it's generally people who love music. And, yeah. and I think he, he understands that. So he does put some Easter eggs in a show or just, you know, do Soul Man or just some B-sides because people who love Prince, they love Prince and they love music. And he even said that, didn't he say that in an interview with Tavis Smiley? People who come to my shows expect me to right, do they expect all of to this. Do this. Right, they <laughs> expect him to, to do the unexpected. So right. he'll throw in, he would play around with that a lot. And sometimes he'll grin off when he would do songs that he knew people would go crazy with. You know, Even if he didn't do the whole song, he'll give a little sample just to get you excited. Like, da-da, da-da. And you're like, nope. I'm scared. 
And then he goes, yeah, yeah. I knew a man named Jesus and he was <laughs> <laughs> They're like, wait, what? Uh, he would do that a lot. He'd say 23 scriptures in a one-night stand. Like, wait, what? Wait, what? Prince, come on. It's a one-night stand. What, y'all praying before y'all get it on? What's the deal? 20, 23 psalms on the night stand. Get <laughs> it all on Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's so funny that he he had that period where he was like, I am no longer cursing. But anyway, back to... um. <laughs> we, can, we can go over and over. I just had to tell you this as the set. And that awesome. looking, looking over at it, from what I could see, he didn't do anything that obscure on that. Yeah, board. Musicology just, was meant to be the hits. I mean, remember, this is the first time he's really touring this album, too. I mean, the other songs, like, you know, One Night Alone, The Rainbow Children, that was mm-hmm. the obscure stuff, and people didn't like it. People were like, "Oh man, why are you not?" I, if you saw him during that period, woo, you would have been in heaven because it was jazz too. Oh, Ooh. why do I miss? <laughs> why do I miss the good tours? Yeah, you say that as, and this is coming from myself. You know, in two thousand and four, what was I? Eleven. <laughs> Couldn't go to no print you show. You still could have seen him though. No, not with <laughs> the parents I had. Well, not woo, like. Woo. Nah, but I mean, technically, because you were here, you could have seen it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I missed a lot of shows. That's the thing. So you think of Prince and Michael. So, okay, we, we stopped at 95, 96. So that's history and chaos and disorder, as well as the gold experience. Um, so this is the first album that gives us, you know, songs like The Most Beautiful Girl in the World and a lot of other very pivotal moments. Shush. Like we talked about. <laughs> Well, the other thing that Prince, this was his first time being married, whereas Michael was already divorced one time. So those are two nice. pivotal moments. That's in a very pivotal moment. Yeah, so Prince got married in 96 with Emancipation. So Michael had already been. When did he get a divorce? 96, I think. 96. <laughs> Prince getting married, Michael getting a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> if that doesn't show you already that they're totally different, like. Stop making these artists in competition when they have different lives. And then, what's another pivotal moment? So, 2000, Prince is free. He doesn't have no contract with Warner Brothers. He's back to Prince. He's no longer the unpronounceable symbol. And he's mm-hmm. religious. Michael, in 1999, he's having the problems Prince had since they told him that he couldn't release all of the music that he wanted to so around 93 so around 99 michael's going public against his fight with sony <laughs> and you know he's 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 really pissing people off now because he's just you know you got madison square garden the world in general started changing because then you get 9 11 2001 would you say that emancipation is comparable to history i know that Michael was still under the strains of Stoney and he hadn't been out with his slave period. But mm-hmm. with history, Michael saying, I don't care anymore. They don't care about us. And then emancipation, you got Prince on the cover, breaking free of the chains. Right. So I think there's a slight there's a slight comparison, comparison I mean, but just he's... I think in, in a general sense. You know, it's funny. In a superficial sense. The gold experience, emancipation, 
And well, if you just because I'm thinking of that question, I'm thinking of what looked like what what Prince looked like three years prior. So before emancipation, he had that darkness. It was kind of dark. Emancipation was very light. You know, he was wearing a lot of white, mm-hmm. and it was kind of like yeah. just a acceptance. He seemed to be very comfortable with where he was in life, even though he had just experienced something very hard, the death of his child, Mike as well. So, I mean, that was a very big position. So I would say it's comparable to history in the sense that he's looking at his life. He's in a different, it's a different prince, you know. He's kind of having to work to compensate for the loss, too. Because he still has to do the tour, and then EMI closes down not long afterwards. So it was really like a short-lived Yet, I consider emancipation one of my favorite periods because I just sense a sense of calm that he had around everything that was going on. And he was saying it was the album he was born to make. He was able to do things that he probably wouldn't have done. And it was pretty much a solo effort, with the exception of some horn musicians. (laughs) (laughs) So, So, to that, because he did news, he did... Yeah. Rainbow Children. He did all of these albums, so he's saying Emancipation is the album he was born to make. But wouldn't that contradict him saying every album is his best album or is his yeah. child? Well, again, he said that in '96 because Emancipation was it didn't really fully live to where. I mean, there were a lot of complications again. So he's making this album. The second CD is dedicated to his wife. At the time, they lose their child. The company that he uses as a distribution and label closes down so the promotion mm-hmm. stopped immediately after that so then he had to kind of carry it on his own so he did the jam of the year tour that was one of his longest tours he late he had that going for a while he combined it with like the new power soul and he started having like a different image it came into raven to the joy fantastic 99 which mm-hmm. got us invincible like we talked about and then it wasn't until i think the pivotal moment for him was when he became a Joe's witness that changed. It kind of cleared out the questioning because he just became a bit more serious and focused to just bring a good show without the, the dirty prints or whatever. Although that was still there, but not as blunt. (laughs) And then 2004, that's when he really gets it. And you see him around this time, you get musicology and now it's not, that musicology is really pivotal because it merges. I'm not to say I'm not saying that he was because I love the Rainbow Children era and mm-hmm. that whole concept. But I think for a lot of people it was hard because he was doing a lot of preaching. Okay, and I don't <laughs> mind that because he was preaching about race. It wasn't just the religious stuff, you know. It's, mm-hmm. A lot of people focus on that, but I think that's a cop out because it's not like he just spoke about religion. He spoke a lot about you know when you listen to Family Name. Or when you even listen to how he performed that song live about yes. leading, you know, the, the who who wants to be a leader, who wants to be a follower. You know, it was more than just religion. It was a lot of, you know, just questioning things and and you know, xenophobia. I mean, mm-hmm. he did a song called Xenophobia. Yeah. Uh, and just that whole thing of, you know, it was a it was a lot of interaction. But I think for a lot of people, the average person probably thought it was too much. But musicology, <laughs> it was the hits and it was a fun show. And it was it was just a nice blend of because he was still saying while he performed Purple Rain. Do you remember him saying, "Open up your Bibles and let yes, them guide you to the yes, Purple Rain"? Yes. Oh Lord, that's what Prince was. <laughs> he like let them guide. He was religious. 
during that period. And then that weaned off until it took a while, actually. I'm not going to say it weaned off because he was still doing that for a while. I think he stopped doing that around 2010, maybe. Mm-hmm. So that took a while. <laughs> I mean, it probably wasn't every show, but it was you never knew when you were going to get it. So, right. Um, It's funny that he had. I love that he he had that era, or he had that time. He was really passionate about it too. Oh, so. yeah, that's an understatement. Passion. Yeah, <laughs> changing lyrics, like we said, twenty three scriptures, and being, you know, are you ready for the touch that'll make you go insane? From breast to lips, from lips to mane, I'll pull your hair. You'll feel no pain. You'll feel ashamed and ordained when I lay my hands. <laughs> Lord, glory. Never stop. Dig if you will the scripture. <laughs> Dig if you will the scripture. Hello. <laughs> so 2004. So this is interesting. So Michael wasn't doing any music around this time. Yeah, I mean, because he was going. He was. He was recording. He was recording, but he didn't release anything. Well, he did do. He gave us that ultimate package, which gave us songs like. Let's just talk about the music he was doing at the time. Yes. One more chance. Mm-hmm. Um, what else is a big one? The way you love me. Um, well, that those. That was yeah. Those were actually. Those were more uh, demo version because the way you love me was done uh, earlier than 2004. And so a lot of the stuff in the Ultimate Collection were essentially vault songs. And the, do you know the date of when that came out, the Ultimate Collection? 2004. Four, okay. Yeah. So, okay, just what I thought. So even though that those songs obviously were done prior, they were still the first, like, new batch of songs that had not been heard. Right. So, yes. And I know they had- were throwaways. I know he was just releasing shit because he wanted to be <laughs> So I'm not saying... But it's still nice to hear. I mean, I still love... Yeah. The way you love me, I love. Um, was Cheetah on there too? I believe it was. Yes. So okay. So the way you love me is one of his greatest love songs. Yes. It and is. one of his greatest. That song is so nice. Apparently, he was going to give that to Hanson. I don't know if he actually did. If he Glad did not, he did not. He should have had that on Invincible. Yeah. I think. For sure. I think that would have been a For perfect sure. song. Perfect. Next to Break a Oh, I think have Break of Dawn and then The Way You Love Me next to that. Are you kidding me? Oh, oh. Ooh, I'm going to make a mix of that. That's yeah. nice. Come on, Michael. And then We've Had Enough should have closed out the album. I like yes. Threaten, but yes. We've Had Enough should we've have closed out the album. He would have, that would have been a song to, to close out on because mm-hmm. who are we to decide? Who will live and who will die? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's a shame. And that song, so that was, didn't that close the Ultimate Collection? I feel like it did. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. So that's so him I trying. That's probably what he's probably that, right. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and I think that that was a perfect way of closing the Ultimate Collection, kind of having his journey say, this is my chronological journey somewhat. And the thing I did not like about Invincible is that it had no political songs on it. It's the first album in a while that... It doesn't. I was very sad about that. 
Major wait, 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 wait. Is there not any? Nope, not on Invisible. Lost children? We I would not go that political. No, I guess it's not. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, everything's political, but if you're talking about overt political Yeah, I guess stuff, there's no explicit. You know, you're oh. right. If we close it out with we've had enough, that would have been the best. That would have been the best. But I know, see, didn't he struggle with deadlines? Because I feel like Sony gave him a huge advance, and he didn't get it in in time, and then it was, I don't know. There was well, a they lot ran, of they ran over the budget. They ran over the budget by a lot. By a lot, right. So they had just basically forced him to come up with something to release. (laughs) Wow. And that's his last one. Yep. Which is why I think it's interesting. Yeah, but he said, he had said in interviews that Invisible was going to be his last album anyway. And he was just going to do little things. Like maybe Thriller Twenty Five or just put out singles. Mm-hmm. So I mean, Invincible most likely would have been his last album anyway. Well, well that's but, actually comforting because, yeah. and then he did release We've Had Enough. It's, it would have been great if it was on Invincible, though. You're right. I Absolutely. know. That would have been a dope, uh, even doper uh, last song to be on the Ultimate Collection. Threatened. <laughs> I, I I still like the fact that that's his last song though because it kind of makes it. And I'm not saying it's his last song, but that it was on the last album he did because it's almost saying, I'm going to give you what you look. It's just kind of the same thing he said in Is It Scary? Like, if you, you think you want it, you think you're looking at the beast, wait. What you've seen now can be the end of a particularly terrifying nightmare. <laughs> or wait, the beginning, the beginning, the beginning. I love that. So, I think oh, the song is brilliant. Not As I said before, it. It's a bookend. It closes out the album. You have Unbreakable at the beginning. Yeah. I love how Rod Sterling was edited. And that's yeah. the first time I've ever heard another piece of audio edited in that way to make a rap. Uh, oh, exactly. Yeah, when you think exactly. that he did that, like that's, it sounded like he was reading it in front of him. That was painstakingly. That was painstakingly. A lot of work. Like a lot of work. That's what I'm saying. You're absolutely. Thank you for clarifying that because I remember when I found that out, I was surprised because I didn't know that he did that. I thought that that was just something, you know, he found. Like that's one of the episodes from the Twilight Zone. But the Uh, fact that they. Yeah. So when I found that out, I was like, whoa. (laughs) Dope. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what Michael, that's what Michael Wink's like. Yeah, yeah, you see? You didn't get that. Yeah. Huh? I'm the man. What's up? I'm the man. I'm the man. What's up? What's <laughs> up? But yeah, just, just the bookend, the way it was edited, the way I know I that. All songs down. I have to listen to <laughs> I know that it was definitely. To me, obviously, a play on Thriller, like a lot of his songs were throughout his career. However, I think he understood, A, that it was going to most likely be his final album, which he publicly said. And to say, everything y'all have done to me, I'm going to haunt you for the rest of your life. Yeah. And and Michael never really had songs like that. And I know everyone was like, oh, breaking news. Michael would never say anything like that. But we got threatened. We got unbreakable. You're right. We got threatened. Did want to say stuff like that? He did say, yeah. He he said and threatened. So and he's not immune from songs like right. Breaking News. But 
He he did not do. He wouldn't do. But see, breaking news is not him. No, it's not. But people are saying, well, he wouldn't talk about himself like that. He had two songs on Invincible where he talked about right. himself. No, you're right. No, you're right. You're right. Because Unbreakable. Yeah, you're right. He is because you're not listening to his yeah. music. I mean, you can try to stop me, but it won't do a thing. <laughs> Don't matter what you do. I'm still gonna be here. Roll your lies and sing the game. I will never make the thing. Uh, 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 break Ooh. <laughs> Man, that's smooth. Yeah, because he knew he was like, y'all can't get me. Michael was, and he right. Because you see, yeah. Michael ain't going nowhere. Nope. Ten years uh, later, people. Ten years later, he he's the most six, like. You can't touch him. Get out of the room. Shit, Michael, don't even... Shh, please. <laughs> I tell people they can't even understand. Y'all don't even understand. But yeah. So, Michael, so I love... So, all right. All right, where we are. Around 2006, Prince released 3121. 2007, you got Planet Earth. Michael Jackson didn't really release... Um, I mean, we know he did interviews. I mean, this is also a pivotal time for him because... This is the mm-hmm. aftermath. So 2006, he is acquitted. And that obviously changes his whole thing. It's like, you know what, America? <laughs> Two middle fingers up. There's nothing for y'all. I'm moving. Bye. Yeah. And he traveled the world. <laughs> and that was just a pivotal moment. It was a huge moment for him. I think that's when he really changed his setup. He realized that it was about the business. You know, It was about his business like he was about being a father and taking care of his children and he seemed to do a good job at taking care of himself as well so it just felt like i mean when you go through something like that you you would expect that to be the reaction i mean that was huge for him to go through that again to fight it publicly and to just really make sure he proved his innocence which he was innocent so I'm wondering if Prince and Michael around that time actually had some conversations. Yeah. Really wondering about that. Well, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, there's one mention. This is it's funny how this is the only thing we have of Prince saying anything about Michael Jackson. <laughs> but it is. It's when he changed his name back to Prince. And mm. someone said, who will win a fight between you and yes, Jackson? Yes, mm-hmm. And he said, uh, Michael's a lover. not a fighter. Right, Michael's a lover. Not Michael's a lover is not a fighter, yeah. <laughs> Which people took that to be, oh, what you trying to say? That you could do, 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 do. <laughs> No. I don't he think. said he said there's more there's more yeah. that Michael probably knows more, than right. we all know. And, and one day he's going to go home. Yeah. One day he gonna come home, something like. That. <laughs> yeah, he said. Yeah, and and he's right. I mean, I don't think people factor in. They just look at Michael Jackson, but you have to connect the dots with this man. You can't look at one piece of his life. You have to look at what made him. What age was he at the time when he did this, and what what was it like for him as a child? You gotta look at all of that. I mean, it's not to say he's free from any judgment, and you know, with what he went through. He had to grow. He obviously needed to see that. He went through that and he came out of it. He really is unbreakable because he did come out of it. Now, obviously, the aftershock of that 
was tremendous. So much to where, you know, then, you know, look at his financial situation. So 2009, this is also one of my favorite periods. Because that year in particular for me in my life was transformative. And, you know, 2009, I'm nearly about to graduate. I'm 17. And I'm just discovering who Michael and Prince is. <laughs> Wait, because, D- Jesse, before you continue. Yeah. I had to say so because we met in 2009. We've known each other for almost 10 years. I'm just bugging right now. Wow. That's just saying. Yeah, it's true. We did meet each other in 2009. Wow. Okay. Okay, continue. I just okay. had to say that. <laughs> right. So that's nine years. Yeah. It's nearly 10. See, we're going to see each other by 2019. Right, 2019, we're going to already put it out there. That's going to be the year. Ooh. Yeah. Can't wait for it. Anyway, yeah, I was 17 years old, so it was my first time discovering who Michael and Prince were. Well, Michael first. I mean, Prince came around that time with Michael, but much, like, maybe a little later. Mm-hmm. Michael was first. I mean, Michael, then Stevie Wonder, then the Ink Spots, then Ella Fitzgerald, then Billie Holiday. It was like I just gulped all of these different genres, and Michael kind of acknowledged it, and Prince just nearly painted the room even further by the instrumental aspect and, you know, just knowing different kind of styles of music and all of that. But it was still just amazing to look at where I was in 2009. So Michael, he's at the brink of this is it. We, you know, and we already, we already know what this is. It was like, that's an indication that that was just awful for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the monstrosity of it all, there is a savior. And that is the fact that, he still seemed very determined. He was out dancing the dancers. He still mm-hmm. had the understanding that this is what I'm going to do. This is it, though. He was he came in it with this mindset, like, I'm going to give you the best show, and then this is it. You will mm-hmm. never see it again. <laughs> so <laughs> I look at it from that perspective. So it means that if he made it full term, like, let's just put aside the, oh, he was sick. Let's say Michael actually did what he wanted to do. It yeah. would have been the best thing ever. I think mm. I think he would have outshone. I think he would have outdid himself. I think he would have surprised everyone around. He probably would have surprised himself, even yeah. if it happened. So, like, you know, so his passing is sad in the sense because he was killed. Shit, it's not like he really had a lot of control in the situation. But to see the legacy afterwards, like we talked about him being unbreakable, invincible, that speaks for itself. So numbers don't lie. Yeah. You know, his impact is tremendous. And so Prince in 2009, he was affected by this. Now he's doing, you know, at this time, and that's when he's really changing now. This is Lotus Flower, just the, the verge of 2010, when he doesn't even release the album in America. Mm-hmm. You know, he just kind of takes a different route. And his, you know, his journey continues on to his passing. But I think it's interesting that the both of them. So the in conclusion, I guess if we can conclude the differences are the uh, <laughs> the lifestyles that they had. Michael and Prince, they both dealt with life differently. And it's due to their mm-hmm. situations. It's due to the fact that Michael had experienced things way before Prince. And then sometimes Prince experienced things way before Michael. Like, that's kind of how life goes. You know, just because you're born in the same year and you're both African... That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you're supposed to do the same thing and, oh, they, they look the same. They, they obviously <laughs> didn't have those similarities. Michael, they're from the Midwest. Both Midwest boys, but Michael's more from yeah. 
He was more, I would say, connected to the South, though. See? Yes. Michael, when he fried chicken, he would get some KFC. He said, look, I'm putting hot sauce on this popcorn. I don't care what you got to say. I love that about Michael. I love that's one of the reasons. He's a Southern dude. He loves the South. Like, you look at that clip when he saw his family, and he like, the way he laughed. This is like the way you laugh. Big hands, big energy. You know, like he was, that was Michael, you know? <laughs> and Prince is like a jokester. He's like the funny, you know, he's funny, but he's he's very direct, but yet he listens. So he knows how to get a different voice to make, make it sound like you because he's listening to you. <laughs> like, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, you know, all that stuff. So they both had different experiences, but I respect both of them because they both, to the best of their abilities, I feel like they navigated this world pretty nicely. I mean, through it yes. all, they literally did the damn thing. And they have enough yeah. music and art that will last. And it's it's helped make connections. I mean, like you said, I can't believe it's been nine years. So like, this fight, like, <laughs> the song Keep the Faith, when I first heard it, <laughs> I thought he said, I told my brother how to do the damn thing. <laughs> Me too. That's not what he said. <laughs> That's the song you can improvise to. That's one of his jazzy songs. I always, I don't never know what he said. No matter how, and that's one of my favorite songs. I love the way he sang it, and I don't know what he's singing each time he's singing it. I told my brother how to do the dang right. Well, that's what he said. Dang right. <laughs> Yes, contradictions. He, he would do a lot of that in his, his book. He was contradicting, you know. Get dirty. Party. Yeah. See? 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 So, in, so in that time, so you had MJ's Transcendence, a transition. You came to know Michael. And then you ended up coming to know Prince. So between the time of you coming to know Michael musically and coming to know Prince musically, this is a two-tiered question now. Nope. So what, what were some things that you learned about yourself in between that time of coming to discover Michael's music and then Prince's music? What were some things in terms of what you learned from them, that was pivotal for you and you ended up learning about yourself. Oh, well, for Michael was the color and vibrancy of joy. Michael made me feel like you can be dramatic and be comfortable in that and not be ashamed to to just show up, you know, because he just he would just get into this like looking at him. I really saw that. And then I also saw a mind that was the determination and Prince in the same way. It was like I saw Prince when I discovered him. I, I realized that you can be sexual and religious <laughs> because I was religious at the time. And Prince, I was like, well, this is not really bad music because he's he's aligning it to a source that's above. So it doesn't feel like it's sinister in a way. And it felt like it was communication of just on another level, another realm, so to speak. So both Michael and Prince at the time, when I first got into them, they just showed me that you can be confident, you can be free, you can be all of these things that at first I felt bad about because if I showed any indication of that, it made me, 
you know, second guess myself or think that I was doing something wrong. They kind of embraced just this freedom. And I really resonated with that. And not to mention, it sounded good. It sounded authentic. It sounded like it was coming from a source. And they talked about those sources <laughs> regularly. Mm-hmm. So it gave yeah. me, so they made it easy for me. It was like, oh, who's James Brown? Who's Larry Graham? Who's, you know, Joni Mitchell? Who's uh diana ross <laughs> because again i guess it was convenient for me because again i didn't have that vocabulary i've i heard some songs probably in passing but i was mainly listening to christian radio i was right. not really opening myself to all these sounds i didn't really look at it as a but i was drawn to it often i mean i always loved color i always picked out certain melodies from commercials but i just didn't have the definition to define it and the both of them did it in such a way that just it made an impact because I, I just felt it and it made me almost like I wanted to just share it, which is what I did. <laughs> so I made videos about it because it felt, I mean, it was just literally consuming my life at the time. I guess because I spent so much time reading a lot of, like I read a lot of different books and religious books and also psychology, just a lot, but I didn't explore music. So when I discovered music like that, those were great intros. Then Stevie Wonder happened and everything else. So I've always appreciated their life story. And I found it interesting how the entertainment industry, the media can literally blame you for something you had no control over. Mm-hmm. And that's when I saw the snakes and the bears and the deception too. <laughs> the darkness. Michael did a great way of showing me the darkness because as vibrant as he was, he was still very dark. Mm-hmm. because he had trauma, which I've learned in every, I mean, we all, you know, we carry these traumas based off of parents and things we don't even have control over, but the way they blamed him for it, he also helped me accept the fact that he was a masculine yet feminine and his dancing his, and the way he poised, like his interest, he would glow up, you know, just talking <laughs> about something. And usually that's not a trait that men seem comfortable in doing. Because I've always mm-hmm. been that kind of animated, dramatic person. You don't get that a lot. People probably think it's too much or, you know, you're expected to just carry your head high. And Michael would do ballet-esque moves <laughs> while oh, doing Oh, yeah. You know? You, did, and, you, see, you saw that interview he did at Havenhurst. Like, oh, yeah, God. exactly. He's exactly. like, dancing on a cloud, soaring up so high. Watch me. Now I'm like, what? Right, yeah. Okay. He had, yeah, magic. You, and okay. That's another thing with Michael is he drew out my because I always love magic, too. So I like illusion, just people like David Blaine and manipulating people's attention through what you do. He was really big on that. And that really excited me, too, because I've always had as a child, I've always been drawn to optical illusions and puzzles and Rubik cubes and you know all of those kind of things. He made that cool and accessible. And his videos were like life changing, like watching those videos. I was like. Again, it was art. It was not only music. It was the visual aspect. It was how he sang. So with Prince, it was just it was the same thing. You know, Mm -hmm. I was just amazed at his. He changed all the time. So how do you have an album in '86 that's nothing like '87, and then '94 is nothing like? It was like, oh, so he's just a storyteller. This is I never know what I'm getting. And I found a lot of. Then I saw some connections. I mean, all of this is personal. So. Then I look at, oh, well, I like, I've always written stories. Oh, I see that. And one of the things Prince taught me specifically, you know, I didn't get a chance because people think, because I work for Prince, that I just talked to him like, yo, Prince, that's not how it worked. 
You can never be like, yo, Prince. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yo, Prince. Or hey, Prince. Not even hey, Prince. You have to wait till he say something. Right. You can be like, what's good? And he might say what's good back or he might give you a head nod. You never know. So it's just mm-hmm. best for you just to just chill out. You'll say what's up. But even when that happens, I never felt the need to be like, so Prince, what was it like, you know, being with brother? No, I was never like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I respected that Prince was up for business. You know, if you if you were in the mood, if you felt, I mean, you were obviously open to ask him anything. You just had to be ready for that answer. <laughs> and right. it could literally be, you can't ask that. You're fine. Who knows? I'm not that he would have even <laughs> answered that, but I, I wouldn't even, I never had the idea to just ask him with a curveball questions. Cause I'm not like that with nobody anyway. So, yeah. but one thing, so that, Prince, that was the second part of my question. Like when you were working with him or for him, what was something that you took with you that he taught you or a couple things? Oh, kitty. You hear Did he kitty? teach you something too? <laughs> she looking at this. Yes, spider, for real, kitty. That's <laughs> One of the things I kept is the fact that you're free to do it all if you really want to. You know, that's something that, you know, having anxiety and just kind of worrying like Prince, he, he waved through life without really putting much weight in what you thought. And that kind of coolness, which I think he got a lot of that from Miles Davis and <laughs> a lot of other cats that just, you know, you just following the music. This is not to excuse anything you do, but it's to say that you don't really have you have no control over what people think. So don't even worry about that aspect. Just do it. If you're going to do it, do it. And also his focus. I mean, he had to be very determined. I mean, this is a person who 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 made Paisley Park happen, not even within 10 years. I mean, it was built in 1987. Mm-hmm. He was signed in 80 uh, in 78. Mm-hmm. So. Nine years, he already had a huge complex where he was able to do all. Like, he was so determined, and he s- consistently stayed that way. Even if it meant the loss of his body, like, hurting himself in the process, it didn't matter to him because his goal was music. Music, music, I am music. This is what I am here for, and I'm going to do it. So the discipline, and Michael is the same way. They had that kind of discipline is rare to get. It wasn't about the fame and glory as it was about the talent that you were gifted with to utilize that in the best possible way. And they did that very remarkably in spite of the things and challenges that they had to face. They seemed quite successful at maintaining the deliverance of their goals. And I don't know how we forgot this 1987, the foundation of both Neverland and Paisley Park. Yes. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, but pivotal, you're absolutely right. Pivotal moment, Neverland and Paisley Park, 1987. That's amazing, how, isn't how it? How can we forget that? Isn't that amazing? <laughs> and see, the relationship to those places is incredibly different. See, Michael built that place as a place of escape and magic, realism, and home. There was a lot of stuff but Neverland became, but it became. Prince talked about Paisley Park being about the same thing, though. Because he said it was a place for the child. And it it was the same exact explanation in a lot of ways. So it's it's even if you listen to the song Paisley Park. No, you're right. There's a park that's known for... Right, Paisley Park is in your heart. No, you're right. Those are great concepts. And the funny thing is, 
you can look at death also being an aspect of both of those compounds or places. There were places of residencies for both of them, but Prince left this earth at Paisley Park in an elevator saying, right. I'm going to let the elevator break us down. So that was interesting. But then everything that happened regarding Michael's life that was negative, he didn't even have a desire to be around that place after yeah. they searched at high and low. So exactly. it's just very interesting how death, if you will, was a huge component of those two places. That's yeah. another aspect of comparison. Yeah. But it sure. was, they both were places that were meant to be a home away from home, if you will, for people. Things mm-hmm. parks in your heart, never lands in your heart. It's the place for the child. And, right. You know, both, both, both of them open the places for the people. Um, mm-hmm. Michael invited groups of people to ride, mm-hmm. ride the train and play ride and cotton trains, candy. And Fritz, yeah. Right. And yeah, Fritz you're opened right. the place a, and had that's a wonderful correlation. performances and benefits. So, I mean, there were places where, you know, they created in them, but they, they opened. They also the, opened it their, up. Yeah, for the, for the people. I think, to your point, the art they made was ultimately for the people. And that's one of the things I appreciate about them both. They had immune, immense amounts of fame. But in so many ways, they had anti-capitalist principles. And yeah. they were about making music for the people. Yes, I should be paid for my work. They both did think that in a lot of ways, Prince more than Michael. <laughs> but they did make art so it could reach the people. And even Prince making a decision to not curse. And that was his decision or, you know, there are going to be kids at my show. And so he was still processing how he made his art all the time if he was listening to it. And Michael said he made his music for the kids. I don't necessarily believe that, but, <laughs> you know, that's what he said, so I'm going to go with it. So they both were conscious up to some level about how they made their music and who they wanted to listen to their music. And it was about art and bringing people to a positive space. Even when they weren't, they still created music, which brought people to that space. They weren't about using their art to exploit people. And I think that's definitely, if you're going to do a Prince and Michael, not Prince versus Michael, but that's, to me, one of their greatest qualities is making art that's not exploitative, making art that brings people to a place where they can think about aspects of their life, think about the situations in the world, and think about how positive spaces. And both of them made people very happy. Yes. And that's what's <laughs> remarkable. So they both share those commonalities that are productive. See, there's more together than there is fragmented. You know, I don't see why people... But and obviously, people are going to connect to both Prince and Michael in different ways. Knowing my story as to why I connected to Prince and Michael and why I really value both of them, and I don't do that comparative, competitive stuff. It still signifies, you know, then there are some people like I did my work, my the research that I needed. Because, see, when I first discovered Michael, I was just halted in the the nonsense immediately because, of course, the child molestation charges was one of the first things that the media showed up. And mm-hmm. it made me 
like really read. That's another thing I appreciate about Michael is the research aspect because Michael was a student himself too. Mm-hmm. So when you're learning from a student who is also a teacher, <laughs> you're getting both. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> yeah. I was able to really go in, in in depth, you know, and really really understand it. So he was like the arithmetic, so to speak. And then again with Prince, he he would just say things like, "Wait, where, where does that come from?" And then the symbolism. He was more subtle in the way he would give messages because mm-hmm. anything Prince had to say, he released. Now, there's a lot of songs that he didn't release that he's saying some stuff, but usually the messages that are political, he released them. I mean, party up, right? You know, you listen. You're gonna have to fight your own damn war. Mm-hmm. You don't want to fight no more. You know. Yep. And he maintained like he would speak about it when it when you know it's not like he never talked about it he wasn't going around i realized cuz i think a lot of people expect artists to just be a certain way to just mm-hmm. be you know you, you there's a way of doing it it's the same with michael the way he talked about politics the way he would bring out these atrocities was very specific a lot of times they were videos but you even listen to the music and you hear him talking about it metaphors even yeah. he talked about it but people have to listen. And the problem, I think, <laughs> is that a lot of people don't listen. That is probably the issue yeah. when it comes to Michael and Prince. Oh. They just see shades and then they color those shades to be defined markers for how they were. And then they say, oh, so why is Prince better? So why do you listen to Prince more? And it's one thing <laughs> to say you listen to Prince more. See, by virtue of Prince's catalog, people will listen to him more. Because he has right. more music. Yeah. That doesn't mean it's all good. Three albums to every Michael's one. So you're going to get more. <laughs> so if anything, if and you're so a real I, student, that should encourage you to, to listen more to Michael. Because Michael has been doing this for a long time. It wasn't it. Thriller right. was not the beginning. He was a child. So you got to. So just don't think you got it easy because Prince got a lot of albums. Well, Prince got. Well, Michael got a lot of music too and he produced for other artists too right (laughs) when i was a child i cried oh mama soda look at me and say when we grow older i I got i got one for you i got one for you so the song shout which was actually one more chance was on that disc and then i have there's actually the 12 inch of cheater so that that came out around the time of the Ultimate Collection, and then you it was kidding a, me? Yeah, I have the twelve inch. That's dope. I didn't know that. Yeah, I think I I don't think it was pressed. I think it was pressed in the UK or something. But I I have it. That makes sense. And so it was a cheater, and then a quote unquote remix is like the R Kelly remix. Ugh, I don't listen to it. It's R Kelly. But uh, the R Kelly remix of One More Chance is the B side of Cheater. And then you have the regular, no, it's Cry. That's what it is. So, so One More Chance is on the, the, one of the greatest hits packages. That's what it is. And then so you have, um, was it Cry, the Cry single, which I don't think was released in the U.S., but Shout was the B-side. So it's the CD, so it's not a B-side necessarily. It's the other song on Cry. The line he says in the second verse, will we ever see the dawn? And I said, mm-hmm. Ah. <laughs> ah. <I'm> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. 
and, and a that? lot of people can't hear. Yeah, and a lot of people can't hear because the vocals are massively distorted. But then at the end, of course, the person, will we ever see the dawn? I said, mm-hmm. and which made me ask myself, is that a Jehovah's Witness reference, uh, or or a Seven Day Adventist? Maybe seven days. I, I mean, Prince spoke about the dawn all the. Well, he stopped. I know. He stopped talking about the dawn like after he became a Jehovah's Witness. He wasn't saying the dawn Did a lot. He? Yeah, he was not saying it a lot. You walk him to the dawn. Really came in the nineties, or even in the eighties. He would say, you know. Yeah, because he would say it in the in the eighties, definitely. But I want to say, yeah, I don't think he said it much after that. Like when okay. he became a Jehovah's Witness, he was not saying the dawn. Like. We'll see at the. He may have. I would say if the latest he said it or the last time he said it was probably around 2002 or one. Oh, even, okay. Even before 2000, even he changed. So he I changed just, his name. And stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so I was just. I just wanted to make that reference because again, I think there were periods in dangerous. So I was like, there were some nods to Prince, and then mm-hmm. that was definitely like you. Never that had to be. Yeah. That. I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm, okay. Especially when you're saying it was muffled. That seemed like he said, well, wait, I mean, you could actually hear that, the rest of the song, but then he says, the fantasy that dawn. I was like, mm, okay, all right, Michael, you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I want to say, like, people are going to get mad. People who love Michael are going to get mad. They're like, but you love Michael. I just want to say, in terms of musicianship, to me, I'm going to go with Prince because jazz is my first musical love. Prince, for all intents and purposes, is a jazz artist. Prince has also had a wide range of music. He went jazz, he went pop, he went rock, he went he he went all over the place. But I'm more partial to his jazz songs. But I like <laughs> a wide range of his songs. Michael, he stayed in the pop lane. So I'm gonna say in terms of musicianship, yeah, Prince is gonna be better for me jazz again if you're just looking in terms of albums michael has a better set of albums <laughs> see it is, albums. but it makes he may he has less so it makes sense this is why yeah. i don't understand the debate because both cancel out each other it's like okay right. prince has a lot of albums because he's done a lot of different genres of music different styles michael has done he's usually stayed in the pop realm but he doesn't have as many albums but most all of his albums are flawless I don't. There's not a bad Michael Jackson album. You just yeah, can't I, I, that. even as much as as much as we're, you know, shading Thriller. It's, yeah, exactly. Still it's, like still, it. it's still. You're about to say it's still Thriller. It's the largest selling <laughs> album of all time. You can't I mean, cancel not, it out. It's too big to cancel out. That's what I'm saying. It's, like, not, it's, it's not even that it's too big. I mean, again, like Purple Rain, Thriller is better with the parts than the sum. And so if we're talking about an album, a solid album, Lady of My Life, Human Nature, Wanna Be Starting Something, Baby Be Mine. Those are the songs. Those are my jams on that album. Like PYT, like we already discussed on another episode, just not into it. Um, The Girl Is Mine, you could throw that away forever. You know, Thriller, I'm just, you know, I could do the Thriller dance back and forth, the live version, the video version, and the song. Like I know all three and I've taught it, but the song... I like Starlight better lyrically. I like the music to Thriller. The lyrics to Starlight better. I, I just don't listen to Thriller unless I have to teach it or something. What's what's the other song I'm missing? Beat it, eh, Billie Jean. Like I don't ever. Did have you to say Human Nature? Again. You mentioned that one. 
Oh, yeah, that's my jam. Exactly. That's the clue. So, you know, Thriller, like, again, if I if I heard Beat It, somebody played it, I wouldn't turn it off. But I'm like, I, it's a song I skip on the album. I skip a lot of songs on the album. I'm sorry, people. I mean, but I, see, I, that I, even makes sense because when you got the most popular, I mean, those songs, let's not act like the media hasn't done this role and overplaying and only relating those songs to Michael Jackson. That's what's a shame. Thriller is almost became a Frankenstein situation. It came it became bigger than it's like that's all they use to talk about Michael. They don't they never focused on anything beyond that. <clears throat> Cuz he was really political beyond that. So they definitely yeah. wasn't trying to uh, talk about it. I mean, I'm going to be honest, the only Michael album where I don't skip songs is Forever Michael and Off the Wall. It's the only two of them. Yeah. Every other album I skip songs on them. So <laughs> And that's okay. <laughs> It's okay, I I mean, know. especially now know. since albums, people not even listening to albums. People might be listening like, Ooh, okay, who okay, cares? I don't even listen to that song. Most people curate their own playlist. They don't even listen to the album the way it's it was made. Right. So <laughs> it's okay. I mean, Dangerous, yeah, I don't, I, She Drives Me Wild if it's on or not, but I tend to skip it if I'm playing the album. Oh, <laughs> nope, that's my jam. There goes my baby. Uh-huh. But if it's on, if it's on, if it's on, I'll play it. But if I'm in touch, I see. But you're not going to just play it. So I sh- we should say in summary because we could go on and on. Yeah. Michael yeah. and Prince, both. No matter how many songs Prince has or how many songs Michael has, there are going to be songs you like, songs you might not like here. Oh, there's, there's whole Prince out. There's whole Prince album. Yeah, yeah, Jamila, she, she don't even. She's like, oh, I don't even like that. Nope. She, she already <laughs> told you though. She stick to the jazz. That's what it is. And I respect that. You ain't gonna like everything unless no. you're just a. See, <laughs> me being a writer and a storyteller, I can find anything useful, literally. Yeah. Because I can connect it to something, even if it's not a right connection. It's like, oh, well, what is life anyway? <laughs> so with Prince, I'm not going to say because a lot of people are like, no, you just love her. You don't have no bad. I was like, no, 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 that's not what I would say. I just think Prince, he told a story. He's really one of those artists that told a story when he first arrived. OK, yeah. so he kind of made it to where. If you want to go and connect the dots, you'll be surprised to see things the, the way they connect. Like, it's ridiculous. So that's why I appreciate him, because he put those, the golden ticket, so to speak. He was like the Willy Wonka who will release something. And it was just interesting how he used himself as a way to change form all the time. But yeah. I'm not partial to say I can see why some people don't like albums like Chaos and Disorder. Or listen to an album like the Black Album, you know, because it's it's probably not just it's like what is it, you know, because it's it's not meant for some things, and he already knew that, you know, some things you ain't gonna dig. If you ain't gonna dig it, then cool, <laughs> it ain't for you. Somebody else will like it. That's understandable. So Michael and Prince, I respect for both of what they contributed. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yes. Oh my gosh. She. Yeah. Yes. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you have any views, if you're like, what's wrong with y'all? How can you skip any song like Thriller? Chaos and Disorder sucks. Black Adams, whatever. <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> and we hope to talk to you soon. You got any, any words, Jeffy? I will say, Michael and Prince, both love you. 
No need to compare them. Next time you want to compare Michael the Prince, think of somebody white, preferably. And you got a lot of options. Don't worry. <laughs> think of any white musician and think of two of the most popular musicians around that same time. I could give you examples, but I don't want to make it easy. But I mean, think of, I, was, I said earlier, Freddie Mercury and Elton John, even though those periods are not the closest in proximity, I can still think of, I guess the classic example, which people do, is the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, but mm, um, yeah. it still doesn't. What I'm saying is it's not, it doesn't happen as often that we do that with artists that are not black. And this goes on all across. It's not just Michael and Prince that gets compared. I mean, I've seen, and don't even talk about the Beatles. Oh, I ain't going to even say the word. I'm not going to even use the word. I'm not going to start it. <laughs> nope. Um, <laughs> but what I will say is the both of them, no need to be in competition. Love just, just do like, do like Whitney Houston and say, I don't think of her, and do like right. lying. I don't know her. I don't know her exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Y'all have a good day.